Oh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, gentlemen, ladies, this is the finale of Brandon's World right here on BlackSquirrelRadio.com. Can you believe it? Of course, we had to introduce with by far the greatest professional wrestling entrance theme song in history, Metalingus by Ultra Branch. Of course, as I said, I am Brandon Lewis, your general manager of Box Scroll Radio. This is the finale of Brandon's World right here from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. today. It has been a wild ride over these last three years, and I cannot wait to get to the action today. Any second, Enzo Orlando, the co-host of SD Mike Sports Talk with John Fitzgerald, will be calling in. So we have Enzo. Enzo, if you would like, go ahead and call in at this very second. We're going to have Austin Arnold on the show today. We're going to have Cameron Miller on the show today. And then we're going to also have Sean Fitzgerald on the show today. So we have a wild, wild show to get to today. Also, at the end of the show, I'm going to be breaking down the WrestleMania 37 card both nights. I'm going to go over my predictions. And of course, ladies and boys and girls, turn always, don't forget, you will not be the end of me after this show because next Friday morning at 12 a.m. I will be here in the studio for the Black Squirrel Radio Marathon and I cannot wait to get started. So with Enzo here, as soon as Enzo calls in here, we're going to be talking Tribe. We're going to be talking about the NBA trade deadline. We're going to talk about all the moves that went down in the, in the NFL. And I'm going to pick Enzo's brain about the NFL draft, man. I cannot wait to get this show started again. I'm just waiting for Enzo to call in here, and then we will get started. But, y- you know, I find it very funny because a little bit later in the show, we're going to be talking about Bruce Drennan. Of course, Bruce Drennan went viral this past Thursday after the Indians freed to watch the Detroit Tigers. I am going to defend Bruce on this show today. I know I want to be working with Bruce. I want to backlash saying that he handled both of those calls up orally. I don't think he did it all. You know, there's a reason why I don't give out the telephone number a lot of times on this show and it is because well I don't want to deal with stupid idiots and here we go we got Enzo Orlando right here on the line let me go in and bring him in Enzo Orlando the co-host of Ashley Mike ladies and gentlemen Enzo how's it going buddy Brandon it's just one of those Saturdays where I decided to sleep in but hey at least I was up for your show you know yeah, man, I feel it. I mean, can you believe it? We are here. It has been a long three years, but we are at the finale of Brandon's World. Brandon, I can't believe it. I remember you were like the first show I went on before I even had passed the mic on Black School Radio because it was a podcast before. But just, I'm just so proud of you, man. I can't believe it. It's your last show. I mean, I wish I could be in the studio. Just, it just wasn't really working out for me this morning. But hopefully on the marathon, I'll come in and... Yeah, you just had a great show and all very entertaining. You talk about many different topics and kind of got me into wrestling a little bit. I'm not like a big fan, but I kind of, you know, occasionally I'll glance at wrestling. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate it. As I've been telling our viewers this morning, this is not the last time I'll be in the air. You can't get rid of me yet. Yep, you can't get rid of you yet. You know you always do that marathon. For sure, like, uh, yep. Twelve hours or something? Yep, it's going to be 12-hour yeah. this year. So just a program reminder for everybody at home, it's going to be Friday, April 9th from 12 a.m. to 12 p.m. leading into your guys' final show with Pass the Mic. Okay. You mean from, yeah. All right, now, now I get it. Never mind. 
Yep. So, hey, Enzo, uh, we have to start off today with the most recent thing that happened uh, for us here, at least in the Cleveland sports world. And that was on Thursday. Uh, of course, the Indians dropping their opening game of the season 3-2 to two to the Detroit Tigers. So I'm just going to open it up to you. You know, what are your thoughts on the game? I know we've talked about this a little bit before when, when we did a pre-recorded interview a couple weeks ago. But, you know, uh, did, this, did this first game, and, you know, it, it shouldn't, but, but I'm just going to say it here, did this first game change any of your thoughts about how this season could go? I mean, not really, but, like, here's the thing. I think I said on your show, I, I was talking a little bit down about the Indians, but here's the thing. The Indians are going to be a 500 ball club or above, but they're not – they might be playoff contenders for the wild card, but unlikely the division, that's, like, like a 1% chance or less for that. And then here's the thing. I don't mind the Indians being a 500 ball club. I would still like to enjoy the game stuff because here's the way. A, we got one of the best pitching – in all of baseball, so you know the games will go by quick. And B, our defense is pretty good. The only thing we just don't really have is hitting because we only have, like, five guys that can hit. But here's the thing, the defense is very high and cold. And I know when it comes to the Indians starting off the season, we're a team that starts out slow, and we build up when it comes to, like, July, August, and September even. We've seen it many times with the Indians when we thought they were out of it and they weren't. And that's just how Terry Francona does his team. because as long as the Indians have – Tito, Francona, they ain't going nowhere yet. But if the Indians lose Tito, I don't know what I'm going to do, Sean, uh, Brandon. I don't know what I'm going to do if the Indians don't have Terry Francona because he's one of the best managers in baseball, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, and here's the thing, Enzo, that I don't think people realize, or for that matter, remember. In 2016, when the Indians made the World Series and were an out away from winning the World Series, yeah, you don't have to remind me. I was at Game Seven, and oh my gosh, what a game it was! But just didn't end the way we wanted. Well, this was my point. At the end of April that season, the Indians were ten and eleven, and five games behind the Detroit Tigers in first place in the AL Central. Their starting center fielder for opening day that season was Marlon Bird. And Juan Uribe was on that team as well. I remember that. I went to opening day that year because I remember it got canceled first. But I do remember Juan Uribe. I don't remember. Now I don't even remember who he said was playing center field because Marlon Bird. He wasn't even Marlon Bird. I yeah. I did not remember we had him on that 2016 team, and I know we got rid of him. So my point is is, you know, baseball is a marathon sport. It's 162 games. And by the way, this is not unprecedented. We saw what happened in 2019 with the Washington Nationals. In July, at the MLB trade deadline, they were in fourth place in their division. Let me repeat that so everybody can understand. The Washington Nationals, the 2019 World Series champions who beat the cheating Houston Astros in a phenomenal Game 7, were under 500 and fourth in their division in July. And all these people on social media and these quote-unquote real fans that are complaining after one game, and so I just don't get it. I don't get it either. Baseball's marathon it's not a sprint it's not like the nfl where you got 
16, now 17 games, and you really got to keep everything going. That's that's not how baseball is because anything can happen later on the season. I mean, do I think they should shorten season? Yes, because playing baseball in April in Ohio or Michigan or Illinois, any of these cold states, is not a good idea because we get snow and you can see from the opening day that kind of affected the way the Indians play, especially Beavers when it comes to gripping the ball like that. Cause they just might need to shorten it, move it back a little bit to mid-April because it gets too cold and the weather's just unpredictable up here. Yeah, I mean, you look at that game Thursday and even, you know, Matt Underwood and Rick Manning were talking about it on the broadcast. The snow, I mean, we woke up here Thursday morning in Canada. It was pretty much a whiteout. Then it moves to Detroit as soon as the game starts. Then it comes back to Cleveland. I mean, it, it was insane. And Bieber, yes, he started off a little bit rocky. But after those first two innings, man, he pretty much cruised throughout the rest of the game. And really, the difference in the game was that throwing error by Eddie Rosario in left field in the second inning. If that doesn't happen, we're probably going to extra innings in that ball game. Yeah, that is true. I mean, what can you really do? You can't really uh, have Mother Nature like you know make it a beautiful sunny day uh, for baseball. Like you know, like she always throws curveballs, especially at Cleveland. You know, she even uh, stopped the Indians from winning a World Series. I mean, come on. Yeah, no, I mean. You are right. I think the thing with this Indians team this year is they could they could be, which in my opinion, I'm going to be optimistic and say they are going to be a playoff team. But I agree with some people they could go south. The key for me is two things this season with the Tribe. Number one is, can these young starting pitchers be good throughout the whole season? Will they get tired arms? We need our starting pitching to be consistent. And the second thing is, to me, there are four key guys in the lineup. Jose Ramirez, Eddie Rosario, Franmil Reyes, and Josh Naylor. Those four guys, to me, are the pieces that hold together the lineup. We saw it on Thursday. When those four guys struggle, the Indians cannot score runs. If those four guys stay consistent for the year, I believe the Indians will be able to score enough. But I think it's going to come down to those four guys, who, again, are Jose Ramirez, Eddie Rosario, Fonmil Reyes, and Josh Naylor. To me, those are the four guys, because I think Cesar Hernandez is going to be consistent at second base with his bat. But those are the four guys that if the Indians can get them going, I think this offense will be serviceable enough with the great starting pitching that we have. Yeah, I agree with you with that. And also mentioning Cesar Hernandez is another great contact here. But when it comes down to like the Francisco Lindor trade and we lose Lindor and Carrasco and we also let Santana walk, I mean, Lindor and Santana were big keys to the Indians' bats from 2016 up until, you could say, 2020 even. And, and that's what made so many people like really question the Indians' moves and all that. We knew we couldn't give Lindor the money like he just got from the Mets, but I don't know, man, letting Santana go bothered me a little and same thing with Carrasco too since he was battling leukemia and stuff and we were like supporting him and cleaning that trade made it even worse for Indian fans and you know what what can you do about ownership you know you really can't have much say in what they do I the Dolans are not like Dan Gilbert or Jimmy Haslam who's got other businesses and they're able to when their teams need to win they're able to pay those guys I mean that's just how baseball is and you know no salary cabinet anything doesn't help out either 
Yeah, I mean, this is what I will say about the the Santana and Carrasco decisions. Carrasco was getting older. He struggled at the end of the season, and the Indians have a boatload of starting pitching. I mean, they just have to pretty much give Adam Plutko away because they, they have so many starting pitchers. For the Santana side, now this is what I have said about Jake Bowers and Yu Chang at first base. I think they just threw Jake Bowers in in the opening day lineup because he was out of options and they didn't know what to do with him. So they're just like, okay, let's throw him in there for a month. He's probably going to struggle, and then we'll just cut him. My best guess, the reason why they got rid of Santana is because Bobby Bradley, our power-inning young first baseman down in the minors, is almost ready. I think by the time we get June and July, Bobby Bradley will be the everyday Starting first baseman for the Cleveland Indians. And if that works out, nobody else will question the St. Anna move. And again, I think the the thing with Carrasco was just, where are you going to put Carrasco in the rotation? When you add these guys like like Tristan McKenzie, Cal Quantro, Logan Allen, Aaron Savali, Zach Plezak. I mean, you really think about it. There was no room for Carrasco. Yeah, there really wasn't, just what you mentioned. And, yeah, I think Bobby Bradley, he'll be a good hitter. 2019, he came up to the Indians for a little bit. Uh, you know, I don't think he performed the way that we really wanted to in 2019. And it doesn't help that minor league baseball did not play last year, so we didn't get to see a little bit more progress from him in, in games. But I think he'll be a big help if he develops the way we're expecting him to develop. Because here's the thing, you never know when it comes to – minor league guys coming up to the show, and I know some of them are in prospects. Some of them turn out good, some of them don't, and it's all complicated. And sometimes trading away stars for prospects just kind of sometimes bugs you, especially if you had a team that was still playoff contenders and stuff. And that's what kind of bugs me about the Lindor trade, that we we didn't get as much as I thought we would have from it because we were still playoff contenders. And now it feels like we're going to be competitive finish above 500, maybe make the wild card game. And that's all I see from them. For sure. All right, Enzo. Well, I got to move on here because I want to talk to you about the NCAA Final Four. Of course, it is tonight. And we have two number one seeds in the Final Four as well as a number two seed. And, of course, number 11, UCLA. Thoughts on the Final Four? Thoughts on the Final Four is uh, the Battle of Texas, Baylor, and Houston. I think that will be a good win to game to watch will be very competitive back and forth game from both these sides so i'm gonna have to go with baylor in that one and then gonzaga ucla ucla surprising everyone a first four team making it to the final four didn't help anyone's brackets because when it comes to espn's tournament challenge you can't pick it's hard to pick a first four team to go deep since they include both teams that are playing so not many brackets really had ucla going to the final four but I'm going to say Gonzaga's going to smack around UCLA. They have been dominant this whole season. They've dominated this tournament. They're much better than that Kentucky team back in 2015 with Carl Anthony Towns. I'm saying that this Gonzaga team is going to make the championship game, and it'll be Gonzaga-Baylor, two number one seeds. And I think that'll be a good game to watch since both those schools have been the number one, number one, number two schools throughout the year. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, this is one of the only years in recent memory in college basketball where we've had so many successful number one seeds. You know, usually it is upset galore, but if Michigan defeated UCLA, we would have had three number one seeds in the Final Four, which I feel like is unprecedented. 
Yeah, it is. And, and I mean, I can't believe Michigan blew that game. I was surprised they even stayed up to watch it. Because, I don't know, I thought Juan Howard, he, he does a good job with Michigan basketball. I mean, he's a good coach and all. But I just think whatever happened, UCLA just had a better game plan than, and they were just able to win. I mean, Krebs, I mean, we all want everyone was expecting the Big Ten to, like, show up well. But, you know, you saw Ohio State lose to Oral Roberts, Illinois, lost to Loyola, Purdue lost. Wisconsin lost. I mean, because if you were looking at the rankings throughout the year, the Big Ten, was, they had like four top ten teams. You thought, oh, this conference will do well. Michigan was their only hope, and of course they couldn't really uh, finish it. Yeah, the the funny thing about this year's upsets is, yes, there were a lot of upsets in March Madness, but it wasn't your usual, you know, number one seed upset. It it was your, you know, two seed, your three versus 13, you know, two versus 15, as I mentioned. Those are where the upsets came from. And a team like, like Owen Roberts made an incredible run. And yet here we are, as we've been talking about sitting here, with two number one seeds, a number two seed, and then obviously UCLA as the number 11 seed. Um, do you think that this kind of parody that college basketball is on, do you think that it is good for the sport? Because everybody complains that they don't like dynasties, but the college basketball is the only sport where you don't really get one. Yeah, you really don't, because here's the big problem with that, Brandon. It's because... You know, the whole NBA, you know, getting league, you got to play like one year of college or professional ball somewhere else. And that's the problem. Not the not many of these powerhouse schools like Gonzaga, or you can mention teams that are not in the tournament, but they're usually no good, like Duke, Kentucky, UNC, Kansas, and all of them. They usually have one and done guys to go over to NBA. So that's why college basketball is so hard to have a dynasty. Yes, schools can have multiple NCAA championships, but they won't have a consistent year of being like a dynasty team. And that's what makes this tournament so great because the winner, you know, will usually be someone different every year. It's it's very rare to see a back-to-back champions. Yeah, and I mean, Florida. yeah, and I mean, even if, if, if you think about it, you have no idea what's going to go on in the NCAA tournament. You have, I mean, it's almost impossible to get a perfect bracket because it is a one-and-done NFL-like playoff scenario, and in basketball, you have a bad shooting night, that's it, you're done. Yeah, that's true. If you can't shoot, you're pretty much done, and that's why I like the NCAA tournament much better than the NBA playoffs, because it feels like the NBA, the past, I don't know, um, six years, it has just been too predictable, especially with LeBron in it, and the Warriors dynasty, and now look at the Nets. They look like they'll make the finals. I mean, yeah, the NBA is just too predictable, and college basketball is like so unpredictable, and that's what makes people watch it more than the NBA playoffs. If you look at the NBA playoffs ratings from last season in the bubble, it wasn't that good. Well, and that's my point, is the NCAA tournament, believe it or not, if you've been following you know, the ratings like I have over the last year, the NCAA tournament is getting dangerously close. And I'm going to emphasize this. The NCAA tournament, college basketball, where you're watching kids that you don't even really know are getting close to beating last year's NBA Finals ratings. Let that sink in, folks. I'm letting that sink in right now, and I'm just not shocked. 
college basketball is just more exciting. And I know that you talked about it earlier with me. There wasn't really like that Zion Williams type player in the tournament, but people still like to watch it because of the unpredictable, the unpredictable that happens in these. And that's why we just enjoy watching it. And the NBA, yes, they do well with marketing players and stuff and becoming one of the most popular games, not only in the United States, but also the world too. But just when it comes to watching it here, no one really pays attention. I haven't really paid attention much to the Cavs here, not because they're not a good team, just because I don't know, just feel like you know, you know, we're gonna finish like lottery picked at the end of the season. We're not gonna be you know even contending for playoffs as of right now. Yeah, I mean the Cavs are definitely a hot topic here in Cleveland, and I say that because. There are people that say, oh, well, this team's developing. you got to watch it all play out. And then there are people like both me and you who say, I don't care if the Cavs are a 7 seed. I don't care if they're an 8 seed. I don't care if they're like a 9 or 10 seed. The NBA is different compared to, you know, let's say the NFL and even Major League Baseball. I would argue that in the NFL and in Major League Baseball, if you even get into the playoffs, you could be considered a World Series contender or a Super Bowl contender because we've seen wild card teams rise above and win the championship. In the NBA, if you're not a top three seed, now barring injury, you have really no chance to win the championship, which is why I defended the Orlando Magic for pretty much saying, okay, Nikola Vucic, he's not going to win us a championship. Aaron Gordon, he's not going to win us a championship. Let's just ship these guys out and tank. We'll give ourselves a better shot to win in the future. Yes, and I agree. And, you know, I've mentioned that to Sean so many times, and he's just got to realize that's just not how the NBA works. you got to have superstars. Yes, the, Ca- the Cavs have Kevin Love, but he ain't the Kevin Love with that 2016 Cavs team. Kevin Love has been sitting around mentoring these guys and collecting paychecks, and he has barely played I don't know how many games. He's just been hurt. I mean, good guy and all, but just we might have to say it's time for him to go. I mean, just keep the tank going and we can develop young players we already see it with Colin Sexton right now he's looking like he'll be a potential superstar in the league well and that's the huge debate with Colin Sexton because I see a very good player I don't see superstar gonna lead you to a championship I mean everybody thought that Kyrie Irving in 2011 was this big superstar that's going to lead you to a championship. Damian Lillard, same thing with Portland. And Enzo, I've argued, because I've seen it, in my opinion, over the last couple years in the NBA, if you build your team, you know, like the way Portland has, the way the, the Cavs had, very backcourt heavy, you're probably not going to win a championship. I mean, even Golden State, Draymond Green, the way he played with them in 2015, he was the perfect guy to play in their front court. And then they didn't really become Golden State, Golden State until they got Kevin Durant. You need a big, opposing, dominant up forward to lead you. That's why we've seen with the Lakers, LeBron and Anthony Davis do so well. The Lakers got really no backcourt production except for off the bench. It was really all LeBron and AD last season in the bubble. Yeah, it pretty much was. And that's just, you know, how LeBron is. He's arguably the best player in the league, no question. And the Cavs really don't have that big present guy. I mean, even losing Tristan Thompson, I think, hurt the Cavs a bit. But I think it was just time for... Tristan to to move on from Cleveland. I mean, give him credit for leading us to that title in 2016 too. But 
yeah, the Cavs need to if they're if they're in the draft, depending on where they're picking, you need to find a way to get a I don't know that dominant forward player, but it looks like it'll be too hard this year because I, I didn't really see any guy that really stood out from that from the tournament. So that's just how basketball is, and I mean the Cavs can try to develop like the Trailblazers, but they ain't winning a title unless LeBron decides to come back to the Cavs when he's like 40 years old and try to get his son to play with us. God, Enzo, it drove me nuts last year when the Cavs traded for for Andre Drummond. I said, why are you paying a guy $28 million who's never won a playoff game? He's just there to give you stats. And people said, oh, well, you got to sell out tickets. And my thought has always been, hey, if, if you're going to tell me for two years we're going to tank, we're going to go 0-82 for two straight years, I'd be like, okay. Cool, that's fine. Just don't lie to me. The Cavs are literally lying to themselves. They're trying to talk themselves into, well, you know, we could make the playoffs, the agent here, and we could... No, that's not the way it works. No, and it's not. And ticket sales, I mean, look at that Andre Drummond trade. We basically gave the Pistons nothing for Andre Drummond. That had to be one of the worst trades I've ever seen in my life. I couldn't even believe it. I remember... We still had our shows, and I remember coming back. I'm like, we basically gave the Pistons a bag of beans for a superstar center who really didn't need to be on this team. And then the Cavs later on this season told Drummond, uh, yeah, you're gonna, we're going to DFA you. And he just pretty much sat around, and then we bought out his contract. And guess where he ends up? He ends up with LeBron and the Lakers. LeBron might have had to, you know, text Alvin about, you know, getting Drummond because, you know, AD was down, and now he's down. And I don't know, man. Just the NBA just. It's not the same how it used to be. Yep, so AD is down, LeBron is down, Andre Drummond is down. Now, as I just said, Enzo, I believe you have to be a top three seed in the NBA to win a championship. Except, unless you are injured. And I think a lot of people are overlooking the Lakers at this point because LeBron is out, AD is out, Drummond is out. My takeaway is, this team right now looks like the worst team in basketball. But if they can even somehow make the playoffs, and by the way, the Lakers got a break in this way. Usually, if you think about it, Enzo, in two weeks, we would be starting the NBA playoffs. Because the season got pushed back a couple months, the playoffs aren't even starting in May. So if the Lakers get into the playoffs, even if they finish as the eighth seed and they take on the Utah Jazz or the Phoenix Suns or whoever is the number one seed, I would favor the Lakers in that matchup because they have the best player in the world. I 100% agree with that. They'll have LeBron back. You'll have a healthy Anthony Davis. You'll have Drummond. They'll have that backcourt literally. And I don't care if it's the Suns or the Jazz. I mean, those teams are good, but they don't have LeBron, and we all know how LeBron is in the playoffs. He's just a different breed. Absolutely. So, Enzo, I want you, because I have said this, you know, way back, probably in the second show of my semester, I said, if if these teams are healthy, in February, when we came back in the year, I called it. I said, right here, right now, in July, the Brooklyn Nets will face the Los Angeles Lakers in the NBA Finals if both teams are healthy. If LeBron and AD and Trump, for that matter, get back, do you think we see a Lakers-Nets NBA Finals? I think we will, and that's going to be an interesting one for LeBron. Going up against Kyrie Irving, 
who, who left the Cavs after the 2017 season due to some dispute or something. We really don't know the full story yet. And, of course, LeBron's nemesis, or I don't know, I don't want to weird thing about the NBA, Kevin Durant and LeBron are friends, too, so I don't really get it. It's not like in the 90s where Jordan played. If he Jordan would hate Carl Malone, all right? But, yeah, so LeBron going up against Kyrie, Kevin Durant. They got Blake Griffin now, who's not the same. They got James Harden. I mean, that team is stacked, and the Lakers are stacked just because you got three big guys. And that'll be an interesting series. That's a series I really can't, like, say who's really going to win. It'll go seven games, I think. Yeah, I mean, my takeaway is just I think that the Lakers will win in six because we've seen historically first-year builds of a dynasty haven't won the championship. You know, we saw it with, with, you know, LeBron in Miami. We saw it with, with LeBron in the Lakers. We saw it with LeBron here in Cleveland. So I think next year in 2022, Brooklyn breaks through, but I would give the Lakers the advantage this year. Yeah, I would give them a little. It's still, you know, it's April now, and weird that the NBA season's not over, so we still can't really tell. For sure. All right, Enzo. Well, we got to wrap it up here, man. I thank you for, for calling in today. Do you want to go and shout out your stuff? Shout out, you know, Pat's Mike Sports Talk. Uh, our last show on Black School Radio will be on Friday for three hours from 12 to 3. I uh, wish Sean and I luck, so make sure you guys tune in, listen, call in, too. We appreciate that. Uh, also, you know, next week's uh, Masters Week, so my uncle and I do our podcast, and uh, we're going to make our picks tomorrow, and that episode will be posted Monday, so keep an eye out for that if any of you guys are interested in, like, golf or Stuff like that. All right, sounds good. Thank you, Angel Man. I appreciate it. And we're going to have Sean Fitzgerald on a little bit later in the show, so stay tuned. All right, thanks, Brandon. All right, thanks, Enzo. I appreciate it. That was Enzo Orlando from As the Mike Sports Talk. We will be right back here on Brandon's World. Go, future Okies. Are you ready to walk in your housing for fall 2021? Sign your leads at University Oaks today. University Oaks offers one, two, and three bedroom floor plans that are furnished and include utilities. Keep your fitness goals with their 24-7 fitness center. We'll wax by the bowl or at the books in their study room. Take advantage of their free eat. Bring your furry friend with you and enjoy a balcony or a patio in every single unit. Call University Oaks at 330-678-5861 today for availability and specials. Of course, thank you to Andrew Orlando, the co-host as the mic for calling in at the beginning of our show today. Of course, this is the Brandon's World finale. We are with you today till 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It is 10.34 a.m. here on this Saturday, April 3rd, 2021. And, you know, one of the interesting things that me and Andrew just talked at the start of our show was the Indians. Well, in case you didn't hear, and I started to get to this before Enzo called in. On Thursday, the great, and I mean the great, Bruce Drennan, the co-host along with Ashley Collins of Drennan Live on Great Bally Sports, or excuse me, Bally Sports Great Lakes, the new name of Fox Sports Ohio. I still have to get to it myself, ladies and gentlemen. Anyways, Bruce went off on a caller. Now, I'm going to play for you the first caller segment that he went off on a caller on the Indians about. And then there was a second call that did not go viral for some reason. And I thought that this was a better exchange and a more viral call than the first. So I'm going to play for you guys these two calls. And then I'm going to react 
to both of those calls. So here we go. This is the first one. This is the one that went viral. You can just simply pitch around Ramirez, keep walking him, don't give him anything to hit. The next guy, the good pitch is down the middle. He won't swing at, but the ball's down around his ankles. He hits the shortstop into a double play. This has been going on for two years. Right. Uh, I guess you missed a lot of the games that Reyes hit in the clutch last year, huh? No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're an no, idiot. No. You're an idiot and you don't know baseball. I'm you're not gonna, an idiot. No, you are an idiot. Listen, no, you're going to tell me you idiot. are judging. You don't know anything. You don't know squat, you stupid idiot. You're going to tell me you're going to make a judgment on the season after one game in 30-degree weather that proves what an ignoramus you are. Get off our show. Fair weather idiot. All right, we're going to move on here. Um, 844-289-1421. Didn't even have the courtesy to call me by my name. I've got a few names I'd like to call. Here. And as the great Gene Witters, the former producer of Journal Live, said, that's what you call Thursday with Bruce Jordan. Now, here is the second one. I thought this one was a better exchange, personally. If you thought that was good, wait till this one. This caller named Parker from, I believe, Cleveland Heights called the Cleveland Indians, our major league professional baseball team here in Cleveland, a triple-A team. And as you can imagine, Bruce was not too happy. Four four two eight nine one four two one. Let's go diving back into your calls and welcome Parker calling from Cleveland, Ohio. Hi, Parker. Thank you for waiting. You're on the air. Yes. How you doing, Bruce? Good, Parker. Quick welcome. Question. I'm a Cleveland Indian fan, born and raised in Cleveland. And my my question is, why should Cleveland Indians fans be excited about what they're putting on the field this year? You know, I'm looking at what the talent. And it's like, basically, we're just a, um, you know, a, a team, a Triple A team that's going to be picked apart by all these other markets. I mean, they need a salary cap in the major league. Well, yeah, but uh, so let me, but compete. Parker, let me stop you there. That, forget that. It's not going. It's not. I agree with you. They need a salary cap. They need a ceiling, and they need a bit and a basement. But that's not reality. That's not going to happen. So markets like Cleveland are at a big disadvantage. But when you really cut down a team by saying that they are a Triple A team, then you know what. How do you account for the fact that every single year under Francona, they either make the playoffs or they contend going into the last week or the weekend when they got to the World Series in one of those years? And you're calling them a triple-A team, Parker? This is what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm you saying said, I know, I did listen there. to it. Wait a minute. Respond no, to what? No, to respond to what I'm countering you with. You called I, the I'm Indians a triple A team. You called them a triple A team. How do you account right. for the fact that every year they're making the playoffs? Because they can keep their guys signed for so long, and then, yes, they can compete for a little but, while. But, but please but take back. Like but, Zor, but, but Parker, Parker, please be fair. Will you take back? Will you admit you made a mistake calling them a triple-A a team? That's ignorant. Uh, 
right, but when you say the pirates, Will you take you that statement? No, 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 no. You have to take no, that no. statement back. Uh, apologize for calling the Indians a triple... You can I, I, criticize I them all you want, but don't you dare call them a triple-A team when they make the playoffs every single year. That's ignorant. But let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. All right, now, I'm this. not going to ask you. You have to apologize for that statement. I, That's I, ignorant. They, I, I will not I, I mean, allow you to call the Indians a triple-A team when they make the playoffs every year. Under Francona, under Francona, Parker, are you aware that under Francona, the Indians have the best record in the American League since he's been the manager? But that's, that's not now. We're talking about now. Yeah, will they compete? Will they make it this year? Will they make the playoffs this year? There's no hope. No hope. No hope. All and, right. And my other question is this. My other question is I this. I can hardly wait. My other question is this. The Pirates, just like Mark Cuban would like to purchase them, why can't Dolan just sell the team if you can't compete with the well, why don't you buy them? Why don't you buy them? You seem to have all the answers. You know, you can make them a, from a triple-A team. You can make them a, to a World Series uh, champion every single year. You've got all the answers. <sighs> How unfair and ignorant. Ignorant. Just Ignorance at the utmost to call the Indians a triple-A team. With the financial restraints and unfairness of the economics of baseball, and every single year the Indians are a contender and make the playoffs or go to the last week or the last weekend under Francona to qualify, and he's calling them a triple-A team. Well, what about this year? One game. One game. I can't tolerate ignorance like that. And folks, that is why I do not give out the phone number to many people here on air. Let me tell you why people enjoy phone calls on the radio. Because people always want to come in. I am right. You're wrong. And it's like, no. Let's have a normal dialogue conversation. I will say this. I think both parties in both exchanges do have good points. I believe the caller that Bruce called an idiot, the first caller, the one that went viral, I do believe that he has a point. As I have said to Enzo Orlando here earlier in the show, to me the biggest key for the Indians this season will be these four hitters. Jose Ramirez Eddie Rosario, the new left fielder we got from the Minnesota Twins, who made a critical, I repeat, critical error in game one against the Tigers, or the Indians could have won that ball game. Franmil Reyes, our DH, and our young right fielder, Josh Naylor. If those four guys cannot hit, if we saw Thursday what we're going to see for the rest of the season, the Indians may not even win 70 games. But I am projecting to you that they will do well. That Jose Ramirez will be near an MVP candidate when we get to the end of the season. That Franmil Reyes will hit somewhere between 20 and 30 home runs. That Eddie Rosario will hit somewhere between 25 and 30 home runs. 
And that Josh Naylor will consistently get on base. And they will keep the train moving. I think Cesar Hernandez will be consistent in the Indians lineup. Now the one thing I did not get to touch on with Enzo is I was surprised. And maybe it was because the left-hander Matthew Boyd was on the mound for the Tigers. But I was especially surprised at the way Terry Francona managed the lineup. I was surprised that Jordan Lupo was in center field. I was surprised that Jordan Lupo led off the game. And I was surprised that Andreas Gimenez, who, as I said, I will butcher his name every time probably, was in the ninth hole instead of the two hole. If you recall, last weekend when I did my season predictions, my Indian starting lineup predictions, I led off with Cesar Hernandez because to me he's your perfect leadoff hitter. He'll take walks, he'll get base hits, he'll get doubles. He will just get on base, and that's what you need for a leadoff hitter. And apparently from, from hearing Matt Underwood and Rick Manning on the broadcast Thursday, Tito tried to talk Cesar into hitting in the Number one all, but Cesar, you know, understandably wanted to hit in front of Jose Ramirez. So they ended up putting Lubo, who is not a natural center fielder, who I think should be more down towards the bottom of the lineup at leadoff. And then Andreas Gimenez, who I said I would have hit in front of Jose at the number two all. They put him at the number nine spot. Now, I have yet to check out, when we go to break, I'm going to check out the Indian starting lineup for today because they are facing a right-hander for Detroit. I want to see if there's any changes that they make. I think Ben Gamble, more than likely, is probably going to start in center field today. And Jake Bowers is going to start at first base, I assume, over Yu Chang. So that may flip the lineup a little bit, but that surprised me. I do think that the other caller had a point, as I mentioned about this year. Could the Indians not make the playoffs? Absolutely. They are in a very tough, they are in a very tough division. But I think the injury for, for Elo, for the White Sox, hurts them tremendously. It may even cost them the division. We know Minnesota is still going to be very good. And as long as the Indians have this good starting pitching, they will still be in contention. It drives me nuts when it's game one of the season. And this is the reason why I did not go on Twitter during the first two innings of the Indians game on Thursday. First of all, Twitter's a very bad place if you want to get live fans' reaction for sports. Because there's something in sports now, and it's called recency bias. Whatever we see, if it's the First inning, and they come out, it's like, ah, this team stinks. But if they come out, if the Indians were to come out and score, let's say, five runs in the first inning, it'd be, oh, my God, yay. I don't know why you do this, folks. People do not have patience anymore. The key. Everybody wants to be so liberal when it comes to change, and everything needs to change. No. Be patient. By the way, Rob Manfred, be patient with these stupid rules as well. There is no need to change all these dumb rules in baseball, but that's another topic. Baseball is America's pastime. Now, I do think more and more it's becoming football as America's pastime, but as it still stands right now, baseball is America's pastime. Baseball was not made to hit home runs out of the ballpark every inning. 
Baseball was made for pitching in two-to-one ball games, ladies and gentlemen. There is a reason why batting averages in baseball. If you hit 250 in baseball, you're doing a great job. By the way, you know what 250 comes out to if you do the math? 25%. In every other sport, 25% is flat out failing. Think about if Tom Brady only threw completions on 25% of his passes. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers would be 0-17. Think about in the NBA, if LeBron James every night shot 25% from the field, the Lakers would be 0-82. In baseball, for the season, if Jose Ramirez hits 250, the Indians will probably win 70-75 to games. Usually, a stud player will hit more towards 280, 290. If you're lucky, 300. 300 is 30%. 30%. Think about this. You're playing 162 games. You're not playing 17 games. You're not playing 82 games. You're doubling 82. You're playing 162 games. You are playing a full six months, April, May, June, July, August, September, sometimes even in October, sometimes you start the last few days in March. If you do that, that's about seven and a half months, plus October, so give you eight months of baseball. Sometimes it even bleeds into November 1st. It is a long season. Just like the NBA is a long season, right? The NBA goes from December to July. That's a seven-month season, including the postseason. Baseball goes from April to, what's that, October. That is a six- to seven-month season. There is no need to panic after one game. I think some people just like, for, for lack of a better term, to bust some people's nuts. That is my truth. That is my true theory on this because everybody knows how I feel about Paul Doan. Now, I'm not saying Paul Doan's the greatest donor ever, but this is what I'm telling you. The people that say, oh, Doan can just pay out of pocket for these players do not understand. Let me get closer to this microphone. The people that say that Paul Doan can just pay for players out of his own pocket do not understand how baseball works. Baseball doesn't work like that. In football and in basketball, you get a salary cap. And you say, okay, here's the number. And we had to be at this number at the start of the new league year. That's why you see so many cuts. But in baseball, it's based on the market size. And so big markets like the Yankees, the Phillies, the Cubs, the Red Sox, they get the most money to spend. And small markets like the Indians and Kansas City and Tampa Bay, they don't get any money to spend. And yet, 
And yet, for the better part of the last decade, the Indians have always been in playoff contention. And Terry Francona has eight seasons as the Indians manager coming into this season. The Indians have made the playoffs five times. Five of them. The Indians, unfortunately, did not make the playoffs in 2014. They did not make the playoffs in 2015. They did not make the playoffs in 2019. But every year when they didn't make the playoffs, it was down to literally the final weekend, as Bruce was saying. The final weekend for a small market team, the Tampa Bay Rays, who for years have had the lowest payroll in baseball, have made two World Series in the last 12 years. You want to know how they did it? It wasn't because they had a great lineup. It's because they had a phenom pitcher, David Price and Snell, the left-hander, who is now not in Tampa Bay anymore. The Indians had a phenom pitcher in Corey Kluber. And folks, I'm here to tell you, Shane Bieber is a phenom like we've never seen before in Cleveland this side of Bob Feller. Shane Bieber, in my opinion, is already better than Corey Kluber. Everybody's complaining. Oh, Shane Bieber gave up three runs in the first two innings against the Detroit Tigers. Guess what, folks? He finished six innings, five hits, three runs. Do you think that should give you a chance to win the ballgame? I do. If you give up three runs or less in a baseball game, your team should have a chance in the ninth inning to win the game. And they did. Roberto Perez hit a two-run shot with one out in the ninth inning to cut it to three to two. And by the way, as I mentioned to Enzo earlier, if Eddie Rosario did not make that throwing error in the bottom of the second inning where he missed his cutoff man, and Jose Ramirez had to make a bad throw to the plate, and Roberto Perez could not, you know, scoop the ball cleanly, and that's what allowed the Tigers to score their third run, then this game could have gone to extra innings. And don't forget, Shane Bieber was battling in a snowstorm in the first inning. A literal snowstorm. There's a reason why the ball carries better in the summer, June, July, August, because it's hot out. When it's 30 degrees outside, it is hard, folks. It is hard work to hit the baseball. And the Indians did everything they could. Give credit to Matthew Boyd. He didn't get a lot of strikeouts, but he was crafty, and the Indians took a lot of walks, and they just could not get that timely hit. And that's what it comes down to baseball one of the times, folks. It's the two outs with 0-2 counts, timely hitting. And the Indians just could not do that on Thursday. And let's hope today at 1:15 when they match up against the Tigers in Game 2 of this series, they can do that. I think folks panic way too much. Your goal in every series is to win the series. You're going to win some. You're going to lose some. You're going to lose to bad teams. You're going to beat teams you shouldn't. It's just at the end of the day, at the end of the season, do you win more than you lose? And that's all that matters. And the Indians have a Hall of Fame manager. And until he retires, I am not doubting them. All right, well, folks, coming up next... The NFL has moved to a 17-game schedule. I'm going to break that down. Plus, 
our good buddy, Christian Inn from the Christian Inn Experiment, every Tuesday night from 6 to 8 p.m. here on BuckShowRadio.com. He interviewed yesterday former Cleveland Brown head coach Hugh Jackson. That is going to air this Tuesday on BuckShowRadio.com. I'm going to talk about my thoughts on Hugh Jackson and whether or not I believe him when he said Jimmy Aslam and Brown's ownership lied to him. That is coming up of the hour right here. we got two more hours to go on this finale of Brands War. Portage Community Bank is an equal opportunity lender and member FDIC. And thank you to Portage Community Bank. All right, we are hitting our number two. Here on Brainswarm, man, that first hour really flew by. The bottom of the hour, we're going to have Cameron Miller, the co-host of Orange Shoes and Hand Grenades. Earlier this semester, you guys earned Mason Lawyer, Cameron's co-host, come on the show. Well, it's only right that we return the favor and bring on Cameron to end the semester. And as I said last week when Maddie Hayes came on here, of course, the the co-host of Sports 101 right here on BuckShowRadio.com. I am very proud to say that this semester, I at least got one co-host. I tried to get both co-hosts if there was a co-host, but just timing didn't work out with some of these guys. But I tried to get at least one co-host from every single show, from every single sports show for that matter, right here on Brand's World, and I was successful in that. And I cannot tell you how much that means to me to bring you guys different perspectives, different diverse perspectives, and show you guys the different types of sports programming that we have here on our network as the general manager here at BlackSquirrelRadio.com. But folks, one of our hosts on BlackSquirrelRadio.com works for TV2. His name is Christian Hayden. He hosts the Christian Hayden Experiment from 6 to 8 p.m. every Tuesday night here on BuckshowRadio.com. And yesterday, he interviewed former head Cleveland Browns coach Hugh Jackson. And yes, I know I said it that way, and I meant to say it that way intentionally. Now, Hugh Jackson has been in the news a lot lately because Hugh Jackson has some outrageous claims. You know, Hugh Jackson went 1-31. and 31. Let me repeat. Hugh Jackson went 1-31 and 31 his first two years as the Cleveland Browns head coach. A lot of those games in 2017 when they went 0-16, they could have won as well. Oh, God. How, how terrible was Deshaun Kaiser? Oh, my God. I feel so bad for you, Browns fans. Anyways, Jimmy Haslam, our Buddy, the Cleveland Browns owner said, Nah, you know what? We're gonna keep this buffoon that can't coach. And then what do you know? We dropped Baker Mayfield, and Baker Mayfield can't stand you, Jackson, and he can't stand you, offensive coordinator Todd Haley. He said, Jimmy, you gotta get these guys out of here. And after a disastrous game against the Pittsburgh Steelers in week eight, when the Browns were two and six at the time, Jimmy Haslam finally said, Enough you Get your bum butt out of Cleveland. And since then, Hugh Jackson, ever since, has been trying to defend his image. And I don't blame him because his image is pretty bad. Because, well, when he was the head coach of the then Oakland Raiders, he started off 8-4 and four and ended the year 8-8 eight and, eight and got fired. Then he went to Cincinnati, and he was a pretty good to above-average great offensive coordinator. Goes to Cleveland. Stinks as a coach, stinks as a play caller, and has since been trying to defend his image. And folks, 
He's made some outrageous claims that only people that are trying to vastly defend themselves would say. Here's an example. Hugh Jackson says, oh, well, you know, Jimmy Haslam lied to me. And I would counter with this. I do believe that Jimmy Haslam did lie to Hugh Jackson. But I believe he lied to him about something different. See, I believe Jimmy Haslam lied to Hugh Jackson and told him, Yeah, Hugh, you're a great coach. We're going to go. We're not going to tank. And Sashi Brown, meanwhile, was like, Hey, this roster from Mike Pettin and Ray Farmer, guess what? It stinks. We need to reboot this whole thing. And so the Browns didn't have a quarterback, remind you, going into 2016. So Hugh Jackson, the genius, remember, he's such a quarterback guru, decides, hey, guys, let's sign Robert Griffin III. I know him. I'll coach him. I'm a genius. Folks, I remember I had a YouTube channel back in the day. Those of you that know me know that classic YouTube channel. I lost my mind when the Browns signed RG3. I said, RG3, he hasn't been good since 20... What What are you doing? And then, here's the kicker. They go in the third round. A quarterback out of USC. Does anybody remember his name? I'm going to give you two seconds to remember his name. One, two... Do you guys remember this press conference? Trust me, uh, Cody Kessler, guys. Trust me. Yeah, Hugh. Um, I don't think Cody Kessler worked out. I don't think Bob Griffin the third worked out. Browns also had Josh McCown on that roster. And uh, the Browns went 1-15. They should have won 0-16. Chargers field goal kicker. I forget his name now at the top of my head. Might have been Nick Novak, I think. I don't remember. He missed that field goal kick. Oh, my God. The, the Browns should have won 0-16 two years in a row. How did this guy keep his job? It's mind-boggling. But I'll tell you, just a little bit off topic here, you know what's even more mind-boggling than the fact that Hugh Jackson should have gone 0-32 and should have gotten fired and didn't? The Browns turn around, reminder, the Browns turn around. They go, <laughs> you guys don't think we can do worse than Hugh Jackson? Watch this. It comes... Cheeseburger, cheeseburger, yum, yum, Freddy Kitchens. What the hell? The guy had no control of the locker room. Oh, my God, what a mess. I, I Just saying this out loud makes me feel so much pain for you Browns fans. So much pain. Now, I had to deal with a great head coach in Doug Peterson who got fired for no reason. Howie Roseman, you liar. You Browns fans were lied to for 20 years. Just like you Cavs fans are being lied to right now. And what I mean by lied to is when this owner and the GM and the coach, they all come on and say, you know, guys, we're going to compete. You know, we think we have a good team on our hands. And it's like, you stink. Oh, well, we have Colin Sexton. You stink. Colin Sexton is not a premier LeBron James. Colin Sexton is not Kevin Durant. Colin Sexton is not Kawhi Leonard. Colin Sexton is not James Arden. Colin Sexton is not Steph Curry. You will not win a championship being won by Colin Sexton. If Colin Sexton is as good as Davey Lord, the best you'll get is the conference finals. 
And that may be in 10 years because Dan Gilbert doesn't know how to manage a team. But nonetheless, you Browns fans were lied to. Not by Sashi Brown, but by Hugh Jackson. See, Sashi Brown told you, Jimmy, this roster stinks. We're going to be bad in two years. I challenge you. Go to, go to Amazon. Go to your local bookstore. Look up a book by great WKSU contributor slash Cleveland.com writer Terry Porto. It is called The Browns Blues. It was released in 2017 after the 0-16 season. It details every move from the Browns' existence in 1999 up until the 0-16 season. There's a lot of misses there, folks. A lot of misses. The Browns could have got with Damian Tomlinson, among others, and they didn't. They could have got Ed Reed. I'm trying to remember some of the other names off the top, off the top of my head. They did not get that they were in position to draft. Now, Sashi Brown's plan in 2016 was, Jimmy, we're going to be bad for two years. We're going to trade out of the number two pick. We're going to give it to the Philadelphia Eagles. They can draft Carson Wentz. Our team isn't ready for Carson Wentz. We're going to build around an offensive line. We're going to get a quarterback a little later. 2017, 2018. We're going to build this thing up. And then if Hugh Jackson can coach, by 2019, we'll be the AFC North champions. And according to Hugh, that's not what he was told. Now, it has not come out about the the infamous, um, I believe it was the trade in 2017, A.J. McCarron, Cincinnati Bengals trade. Remember, we were all told that Sashi Brown purposely didn't put in the paperwork. That hasn't been told yet. I can't wait to hear that story from Hugh's perspective. But the one that I found interesting was the 2017 draft. Now, we all know in that draft, the Chicago Bears screwed up by taking Mitch Trubisky number two overall in the draft. But are you aware that according to Hugh Jackson, let me say this, is according to Hugh Jackson, and by the way, there were some tea leaves about this back in 2017, the Browns brass, Jimmy Haslam, you know, among others in the Browns brass, wanted the Browns to select Mitchell Trubisky. Over Miles Garrett in the 2017 NFL Draft, number one overall. And according to Hugh Jackson, he pounded that desk for Miles Garrett. And Hugh Jackson, I believe that this was a quote, but do not, you know, I'm, I'm not sure on this. Hugh Jackson said something along the lines of, I'm a quarterback guy, Mitch Trubisky ain't it. Hugh, you got that one right. I think we all saw Mitch Trubisky ain't it besides Ryan Pace. And look at Chicago, Matt Nagy's about to be fired because of Ryan Pace's bad drafting. Same thing that happened to Philly. Howie Roseman's bad drafting, Doug Peterson gets fired. See how these things go hand in hand? Well, Hugh Jackson has made some outrageous claims. And I cannot wait to hear what Christian Inn's interview is this Tuesday, 6 p.m., BoxSchoolRadio.com. I cannot wait to hear that interview. But as I said, I'm not going to completely blast Hugh Jackson here. I do think he has some one claim to fame. The Browns could have potentially, because the Browns were terribly run back then. The Browns could have won a Mitch Trubisky number one in the NFL draft. We don't know. 
by the way, I said at the time, and you could say, call me a hitter if you want, I would have picked Jamal Adams, number one in that draft, over Miles Garrett. To me, Jamal Adams has a better work ethic than Miles Garrett. I've never loved Miles Garrett's work ethic, but yes, he is a pro bowler. And the Browns did finally find their franchise starting quarterback. Some people believe in Baker Mayfield. The book is still out for me. I think he could be the franchise quarterback. It's going to depend on this year. But the Browns got it right with two things. They got it right with Andrew Berry, and they got it right with Kevin Stefanski. They didn't get it right with John Dorsey. They didn't get it right with Freddie Kitchens. They didn't get it right with Hugh Jackson. I believe if the Browns hired Sean McDermott, like the rumor was in 2016 where Jimmy Aslam decided on Hugh, I believe that if, it, that if it was Sashi Brown and Sean McDermott in Cleveland, Sashi Brown may still be the general manager of the Cleveland Browns. And the Browns would be a year ahead of schedule. And we could be talking today about the Browns being in the AFC Championship game last season. That's just what I believe. I don't believe Hugh Jackson could coach. He caught a fleet flicker from his own goal line in 2016. And that's all you need to know. All right, well, there was a lot of controversy in the NFL this week surrounding the 17-game schedule. Let me just give you my thoughts on this. So we now know that the NFL will play 17 regular season games in 2021. The Super Bowl got pushed back a week. The playoffs got pushed back a week. Everything gets pushed back a week because of this extra regular season game. There is no extra bye week. That was a rumor that did not come to fruition. So there's only going to be one bye week. For this year, the AFC teams will get home. Next year, the NFC teams will get home. And so in two years, by the way, if the Eagles and Browns finish with the same back record, the Eagles will be coming back to Cleveland. That is one benefit I see with this new world change. Instead of every four years, you know, some team coming to, you know, let's say your stadium. Like if you're like if you're me, I'm, I'm an Eagles fan. The Eagles only come to Cleveland every eight years. There's a possibility they could come to Cleveland every, you know, two, three, four years into the eight years. So there's an opportunity to see more of your favorite team if you're, you know, if you're living in a state and your favorite team is in the other conference out of state. That is one benefit I see to this. Now, this year, because the Browns are taking on the NFC West, and because the Arizona Cardinals finished uh, third in the division, which was the same place the Browns finished last season, Arizona travels to Cleveland this past upcoming season. And by the way, that should be a primetime game, in my opinion. That should be a Sunday night football game. you got Kyle Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, J.J. Watt, the big boys, Arizona Cardinals, who I predict will win the NFC West this season, taking on the Browns. And by the way, the Browns better hope they play them early, not late, because I think Arizona is going to get better as the year goes on. And that time travel thing can always affect teams early in the season, I believe. But the thing with the 17-game schedule is it's just more football. Why are we complaining? As I said earlier, I believe football is turning into America's pastime, not baseball. We are getting one more regular season game, one less preseason game. I'll be honest, I'm surprised they kept preseason in as a whole. And this is what I said a couple weeks ago, going back to when we talked about the NBA All-Star game. With this pandemic, with COVID, there are some things that I think we took a look at, and I thought we realized 
We didn't need this. In the MLB, I thought we would take a look at games played. We would say, hey, 162 games is way too many games. Let's start spring training in April. Let's start the season in May. Let's cut it back a little bit. In the NBA and MLB, respectively, I thought both leagues would take a look at All-Star Weekend and pretty much say, hey, we don't need All-Star Weekend. It's just a fan show. It's just to get fans involved. Players don't really care anymore. Let's just get rid of it. No one really cares about the Home Run Derby. No one really cares about the MLB All-Star Game because it has no stakes anymore. No one really cares about the NBA All-Star Game. No one really cares about the Dunk Contest anymore. Let's just get rid of it. In the NFL, I thought that was preseason football. You know, at first, when they got rid of preseason, my initial thought was, boy, there's a lot of guys who just make the roster because of their second and third game preseason performance. There are. I mean, you take a look at a guy like G.E. Giuseppe for the Browns a couple of years ago. Didn't make the team, but he made his name in preseason. A guy like Greg Ward for my Philadelphia Eagles made his name in the preseason. There are these guys. Boston Scott, another example for my Philadelphia Eagles. Scotty Miller for Tampa Bay. You know, there, there are these guys who, you know, kind of make their name off a of preseason that can make the roster. I thought it was going to hurt a lot because there was only so much you can do in training camp. But then when we got to training camp and you saw the more physical aspects of training camp and you saw the competition, I think we all realized, at least I thought, eh, do we really need preseason football? Yes, you can get it on TV. Yes, it's more money. But these fans pay for preseason football the same amount of tickets they do for regular season football. And you don't even get to see the starters for one full avalanche it's the third and now it'll probably be the second preseason game. So why not just get two teams together in the th second week now, I guess you would say, previously the third week of the preseason, and do a scrimmage, you know, get a little bit of there with another team the second week of the preseason, have a scrimmage at the practice field, and call it. And there's your training camp. It'd be training camp slash preseason. There would be no games. And then you start week one. And as we talked about last year, because of COVID and the restrictions, veteran teams always have advantage early in the season, and they always have an advantage late in the season. Why is that? Number one, because teams that have the same head coach, same quarterback, they have an advantage. They're not learning a new playbook. They're not learning a new system, etc., etc. Late in the year when you get veterans, and this is what I've always said about team identity. When you go into that training camp, when you go into spring training, you have to figure out what your identity of your team is going to be in that spring training or in that preseason. Now, the identity can change going along. Tampa Bay obviously changed from a passing offense to a running offense late in the season, and they ended up incorporating Antonio Brown, and pieces move, and we understand that. But it's like this season for the Indians. We know they're going to lean on their pitching. The Browns, we know they're going to lean on their running game. So we know that going into the year. So then how can we get better at the things we do throughout the season is the key. Bill Belichick, the legendary New England Patriots head coach, is always the best at what? Self-scouting. Bill Belichick knows his weakness better than even you, your opponent, knows their weakness. Because if you know your strengths and you know your weaknesses, you know where your opponent's going to attack 
and where they're not going to attack. And that is why even New England, that doesn't have a quarterback, won seven games last year. I finally figured it out. It's because they knew their weaknesses, they knew their strengths, and they just played to their strength the best they could. And so I don't know if we necessarily need preseason going forward. I think 17 games for the NFL is great. I think it extends us one extra week of football, and I don't think there should be any complaints. Yes, there's going to be injuries, but injuries also happen in preseason. I would say this. I'll be very interested to see in the next couple of years that they do add that second bye week. Why do I say that? Because here's the thing. If you extend the season one more week with two bye weeks for each team, that means... Super Bowl Sunday will be the Sunday before President's Day. And for most people, besides from college, obviously you're at college, it's a movable holiday. But for most people, they get President's Day off. And so that would mean the day after Super Bowl Sunday, everybody is off. And could you imagine the TV pop, the TV rating for Super Bowl Sunday when people don't have to go to work the next day? By the way, I found something interesting about TV ratings the other day from Googling. Do you know that TV ratings only count when you do not change the channel for the full hour? Let me repeat. Let me give you an example. Let's say I'm watching Property Brothers on HGTV at 9 p.m. on a Wednesday night. At 9.08... I decided to change the channel from the Property Brothers to the Indians game because it's big. The Indians have bases loaded with two outs, let's say. At that point, my rating does not count for Property Brothers or the Indians game because I changed the channel. The Nelson TV ratings that you see if you go on Showtime Buzz Daily, they're those accurate TV ratings. They only count... For people that do not change the channel. So when you see numbers like 92 million people or something like that watched the Super Bowl this past season. Keep in mind, 92 million people did not change the channel during the Super Bowl. I'm just going to leave it there. Football is the world's most popular sport. That's all you need to know. 92 million people during the Super Bowl did not change the channel. I'm sure there were other people. You know, obviously streaming servers and all that that watched Super Bowl as well. So there were even more people that watched it. But those don't count. They only count for TV boxes in your living room. And by the way, they do count TVs in each home. So let's say you have three TVs. Let's say they're all got the Super Bowl on. They will count each TV as three views. If you don't change the channel. So keep that in mind as well. But that I found interesting. Alright and coming up next. We're going to have Cameron Miller on the line. Cameron Miller of course the co-host of Orange Shoes and Hand Grenades. Right on Bookstore Radio. Come every Wednesday from 7 to 9 p.m. That will be at 1130. But Sean Fitzgerald the other co-host of Pass the Mic. As I call him our MLB analyst. Because he loves baseball more than any other person right here on Buck School Radio. You know, we're going to get into it about the Indians, I'm sure, among other things. Plus, at the end of the show today, I will go in-depth on the WrestleMania 37 card. Two nights. The card is filled out. We are a week away from the WWE Universe being back in the stands at Raymond James Stadium. Don't go anywhere, friends. Well, coming back. 
Hey there, listener. Do you need a place to live? Is the place you live right now just not what you're looking for? Well, let me introduce you to your new life. White Owl East Town Homes is ready for immediate movement. They're currently leasing rooms for the fall of 2021. The homes include five bedrooms and three full baths. Rent starts at only $515 per month. Even get a discount for making lump sum payments you show off. That's right. White Owl East Town Homes now leasing for fall of 2021. Again, White All East Town Homes is now leasing for the fall of 2021. Go to www.easttownhomes.com or call 330-990-4019 for more information. All right, well, Cameron Miller is not here yet. So I am just going to get started on what I was going to talk about with him. And then if he does come on, we can jump him right into the conversation. But when you take a look at the NFL draft, and, you know, I was debating when I was planning this show on what to say for the Box Score Radio Marathon. Again, there's a programming note. Next Friday, April 9th, technically when the calendar turns over from April 8th to April 9th, at 12 a.m. midnight, we and me especially are going to be in here for 12 hours. I'm going to be having guests on not only here in the studio, over the phone. I will give out the number. You guys will be more than welcome to call in during that time and debate anything you want with me about anything. We will also have, you know, former BSR alumni, current BSR RJs, everybody involved in the station that wants to be over a Zoom call. I have a aux cord here that I just hook up to my computer, put it right here on the board so you guys will be here, will be able to hear everybody over Zoom. So we're going to have people in studio, on the phone, over Zoom, everything. It's going to be a rocking great time. We have not done the BSR marathon for 16 months and I am getting prepared I am getting ready I have topics prepared for when people are not in the studio and one of those topics is going to be a mock draft now I don't do many mock drafts you know I I really don't I do about one to two a year I have a lot of fun going in on pro football focus which by the way if you guys love doing mock drafts Go to Pro Football Focus. You can choose what team you want to be. You can control all 32 teams if you want. You can do all seven rounds. You can make trades. And they will grade you on trades. They will grade you on picks based on their ranking system at Pro Football Focus. Again, that's the one that NBC uses to rank players on Sunday Night Football. I think they do a great job. Some people think that some of their ratings are bogus. I I do agree that sometimes I think that they do underrate and overrate players. But for the most part, I think that they are pretty accurate. Well, I have found this NFL draft so interesting because everybody is trying to get a quarterback and everybody thinks they know what each team is going to do. The only team that I think we know for certain of what they're going to do is the Jaguars, and that's at number one, and that is they're going to pick Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback out of Clemson. And as I've said over the last couple of weeks, in my opinion, the only people that are trying to doubt themselves about Trevor Lawrence are people that are just sick and tired of talking about him. We do this with LeBron. We did this with Michael Jordan. We do it with Tom Brady. We did it with Peyton Manning. When we see greatness, we just for some reason can't appreciate it. We just got to go, there's got to be something wrong with him, right? He's human. Like, he, he can't be that good, can he? Uh, yes, he can. 
Trevor Lawrence is going to change the Jaguars' future overnight. The problem for Jaguars is going to be you're going to be stuck in a division with Ryan Tannehill and Carson Wentz, two elite quarterbacks. And yes, I said it, Ryan Tannehill over the last couple of years has been an elite quarterback. And as of right now, he still is an elite quarterback. Next year with Frank Reich and with good offensive pieces, I believe Carson Wentz will turn right back into an elite quarterback. It's still yet to be seen whether or not Ryan Tannehill can turn into that elite quarterback without Arthur Smith, but I think he's still going to be very productive. So that's going to be the problem for Jacksonville. Not to mention Houston for the moment still has Deshaun Watson. At number two, this is where the draft gets dicey because 90% of people, we all pretty much think the Jets are going to take Zach Wilson, the quarterback out of BYU. But my question, and I've been posing this over the last couple weeks, is what if they don't? Because there is a possibility. This is all smokescreen, right? The Dolphins had a trade back. You know, the Eagles traded back. San Francisco moved up. What if this is all smokescreen from the Jets? And they go in and take either Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase. Then what do you do? Because I believe San Francisco is smoke-screening everybody about Mac Jones. Let me tell you something about Mac Jones, okay? When is the last time that Alabama has had a good quarterback? I can't think of one because I'm sorry to say it. Two is a bust. You could say Jalen Hurts, but he's really from Oklahoma in my opinion. A.J. McCarron's a bust. In my opinion, two is a bust. And Mac Jones, to me, will be a bust in the National Football League. He's got receivers running wide open. Great college receivers. We talked about Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, you know, Devontae Smith. You know, when Amari Cooper was there at Alabama, he was overdrafted. The last really good Alabama receiver was Julio Jones. He was a can't-miss talent. Atlanta got him. The Browns, you remember, traded down from number 6 to number 27 or something like that. And they got Phil Taylor instead of Julio Jones. Still can't believe that pick, but it is what it is. That's the last receiver Alabama has produced that's good. To me, Jerry Judy looks like a bust. Some people point to the quarterback, Drew Locke, but I saw Jerry Judy only make one play last year. That was the 92 incredible yard touchdown against the Las Vegas Raiders in Week 17. That was it. Henry Ruggs made some splash plays here and there. Amari Cooper has not produced as the number four pick for, for the Raiders and then, of course, the Cowboys. So I am not sold on Mac Jones. I'm not sold on Devontae Smith. I am sold on Jamar Chase, and I am sold on Kyle Pitts, who I still think may be the second-best player in the whole draft. I think he is Travis Kelsey younger. I think he is Rob Gronkowski, George Kittle, Travis Kelsey. You name him, he's all tied up into one. He's a big, freakish athlete. 6'6", plays like a wide receiver at tight end. I also think Jamar Chase is a Hall of Fame-level talent. I think Justin Jefferson, by the way, is a Hall of Fame-level talent in Minnesota. Congratulations, Minnesota. You had Randy Moss, you had Chris Carter, now you have Justin Jefferson, and the Eagles are stuck with Jalen Rager and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. By the way, our starting receiver next year, number one receiver is Travis Fongram, our number two receiver is Jalen Rager, our number three receiver is Greg Ward. Good luck with that, Howie. Way to build around Jalen Hurts. But the point is, if you're the Jets... Do we as on one of these all-time great weapons to take an unproven quarterback at a BYU who looks so good in a t-shirt and shorts? Let me tell you guys something about the NFL Combine and the Pro Days. They don't mean squat. I can get more information out of somebody from doing a pre-draft interview. I am a journalism major. I am a sports radio talk show host. 
I know how to interview. I know how to get the best quotes out of people. I have had two people, one professor, Carl Schuhorn, and my BVM sports coordinator, intern Cody, tell me they have never seen somebody get as good a quotes than I do from interviews. And I don't make anything up. I take great pride in my work. The reason why I get great quotes is because I don't tell people I'm doing an interview with them. I tell them I'm doing a conversation. And it turns into a conversation and people relate to me because you have to be personable. It's one of the reasons why I'm the general manager. Because in order to be the general manager of a radio station, I believe you have to be personable. Oh, and we have a caller right here. Hey, is this Cam? Yes, it is. This hey. is Brandon. Hey, Cam. How's it going, my man? Welcome to the show. Yeah, sorry I'm late. Hey, man. It is It is totally good. You know, I I, I was saying, you know, we were talking about the, the, the NFL draft here, and I said, you know, really, everybody thinks that, you know, all these picks are a slam dunk. But the only pick that I believe is a slam dunk is number one. The Jaguars are going to take Trevor Lawrence. Everybody assumes that number two, the Jets are going to take Zach Wilson. But my argument is, what if it's all smokescreen? What if it's not? You know, what if they go out and they take Kyle Pitts or they take Jamar Chase? Then the whole draft is turned upside down. What about that kid uh, from Ohio State? Yeah, yeah, Justin Fields. You know, it's very interesting. I, I've heard some stuff about Justin Fields. There's been some stuff coming out, you know, about his work ethic and other stuff. And I was saying, Cam, you know, as a journalism major, to me, the combine and the pro days don't mean squat. As a journalism major, I can interview people and I can tell from their 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 leadership qualities, their their willingness to win, and their love of football. That's what I care about the draft. I don't care about, you know, so much about their measurables and how they do in t-shirts and shorts running around to guys that they know. I mean, if you look, I mean, I agree with that. I mean, you look at a guy like Tom Brady, uh, he didn't do so well at the Combine either. You look at that guy, but he wins ball games. Absolutely. Well, here's the thing, and, and this is my concern, is we've seen this over the last couple of years. Everybody always oohs and ahs about somebody late in the draft. You know, I, I feel like in 2018, it was all Sam Darnold's a can't-miss pick. In, you know, 2019, I felt like, you know, some people were saying that about Dwayne Askins late in the draft process. Oh, this guy only needs a year, and then here he comes, going to rebuild the Washington franchise. It just doesn't work out like that. I just think people are just, they fell in love with Zach Wilson because they were tired of talking about Trevor Lawrence. And my question here is, eh, hold on, I, I, I don't know, I'm not sure. I personally think the second best quarterback in the whole draft is Trey Lance. Really? Yeah, I I, even, I do. I don't know if I've heard of him. So that's that's interesting. So Trey Lance is actually out of out of North Dakota State, and another quarterback came out of North Dakota State. My former Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Carson Wentz. The reason why you probably haven't heard of him is because last year he did not play because North Dakota did not play due to COVID. So his ape is going back two years, and that does concern some people. But what I see is he's a big kid. I think he's like 6'2", 6'3". He's athletic. He can move. He's a little bit like Josh Allen when he first came out of Wyoming. He's raw, 
But if he gets to the right place and if he gets to the right coaching, and I said this about Josh Allen too, and we're seeing it now in Buffalo, I think he could be a stud. North Dakota State, that's a smaller school, yeah? Correct, yes. It's a Division II school. Yeah, okay. So this is like a Ben Roethlisberger coming out of the MAC kind of situation. Yeah, and I mean, we, we've we seen it with Ben Roethlisberger coming out of the MAC. You, you know, I just mentioned Carson Wentz came out of North Dakota State before. Like, we've seen Josh Allen out of Wyoming. We've seen these quarterbacks come out of a small school and do well. So competition to me isn't the biggest thing. When you look at the draft, when you take a look at this draft, what do you see? Uh, I see, well, that's actually a good question, Brandon. Uh, to be honest, it's a lot of, um, uncertainty. I think there's a lot of stuff that's in the air because this last season, um, a lot of these guys didn't play under a whole lot of fan pressure, right? And they're going to come into a league with, um, pretty much full stadiums because I think the NFL is talking about full stadiums this next season. I saw Pat McAfee talking about it. Um, and honestly, uh, you never know some of these guys, uh, they could look great in college and then they come out and, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, crap bed when they come into the, the big league. Absolutely. Well, well, Kim, you, you know, I want to switch gears here because I kicked off my show today by saying there's a reason why in the first two innings of the Indians game on Thursday, I, I did not go on Twitter. I knew people were going to, to overreact to the bad start by Bieber in 30-degree weather, you know, and everybody's flipping out about the Indians this season. I have said going into the season, I think that people were down in the Indians a little bit too much. I still think the Indians could be a playoff contender. I want to hear your thoughts about the Indians this season. Just lay it all out on the line. Do you think that they're going to stink? Do you think that they're going to be a playoff contender? I mean, where do you land with this team? Well, here's the thing. Uh, I'll start with some positives here. I'll start with the positive. Uh, I think Shane Bieber looked really good, um, despite that first inning gas with Miggy. Um Ten strikeouts, that's nothing to sneeze at. Um, I think only Bob Feller was the only other guy to do that um, on opening day. So uh, Shane Bieber looked great, so he's going to be good pretty much the whole season. The thing that I'm concerned with is the bats. Um, We're real young, and really our only uh, heavy hitter is uh, Jose Ramirez. Um, And depending on his health uh, and his consistency, that's the only worry for me. Um, but we're young, so it's gonna it's gonna take probably till the All Star break to get the wheels turning. Um, and usually we're a second half team anyway, so it'll be interesting to see how we do. Uh, I think we have a shot at the playoffs, but um, it's a long shot. It's it's a tough. It's I was listening to Tom Hamilton, and he said we're not the thumpers of yesteryear, and I wholeheartedly agree. So it's we're gonna have to do it with pitching. We're gonna have to do it with um, some small ball. I think this year. Indeed. Well. Enzo Orlando, the, the co-host of, of Pesta Mike Sports Talk with Trump and Cheryl, kicked off our show today. And I was telling him, and I don't know, Cam, if, if you remember this. In 2016, when the Indians made the World Series, in April of that year, at the end of the month, they were 10-11, and 11, five games behind the Tigers in first place in the division, and Juan Uribe and Marlon Bird were on the roster. So it just, I do remember that. 
it just shows you how, you know, they're, they're really, and this is what I've said all, all along about baseball. In, in April and halfway through May, don't even check the standings. The standings, it doesn't even matter. Don't check the standings till Mother's Day. Then around June, start paying more attention. Then July, you really start wrapping it up because in June, July, you kind of know what team you are. To me, there's four there's four hitters in the Indians lineup that are going to be the key this season. It is obviously Jose. It's Eddie Rosario, the left fielder we got from the Twins. Franmil Reyes and Josh Naylor, who I think has a lot of promise in right field. If those four guys, it consistently, the Indians will be a good to great team and could make the playoffs. And you never know in the MLB, you could make a run to the World Series. If they all struggle, then yeah, this team's going downhill. I think either way, uh, this is a young ball club um, with a lot of promise. And, like, listen, we played against the Tigers in the snow. Um, if you're trying to take that as an indicator of the entire season, uh, I just I don't think that's smart. I don't think that's a smart way to go. <laughs> well, well, I mean, you know how, how a lot of fans are nowadays in social media camp. It is all recency bias, right? I mean, it's all what we see. The last thing we see is, oh, my God, this team sucks. They can't even beat the Tigers. And then if they go out today and they smack the Tigers, it'll be, oh, my God, we're back. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it it, it is crazy how, like, other people's opinion influence you know, your opinion. And this is why I said, you know, on this show, I very rarely give out the phone number to callers because my take is, you know, fans like like to argue. And I think with the Indians, the thing that makes people the most mad is people see the Indians payroll and they think that the Indians are trying. And those people just do not understand the economic impacts of baseball. Well, I think we could spend a little bit more money than what we're spending. I think the front office is a little uh, penny pincher. I'm not going to lie. Um, I mean, you, you, it stings when you see a guy like uh, Francisco Lindor get a contract for 10 years, some $300 million, something like that. Um, it does sting a little bit. Um, and we're sitting here uh, pinching pennies. Give a give. Can I make the argument that every time we've seen one of these contracts given out, whether it's been Miguel Cabrera with the Tigers or Albert Pujols with the Angels, Bryce Harper in Philadelphia, even Mike Trout with the Angels, when they've given out these big money contracts, they haven't resulted in winning. No, listen, uh, I, I actually um, I agree with you. I'm a big Moneyball guy. Moneyball is probably my favorite movie. Um, I don't usually agree with giving people uh, ridiculous amounts of money to sacrifice the rest of your payroll because there's just no money left to go around so i think that the indians are definitely on that money ball train um a little bit the analytics standpoint but um i think this season in particular it's hard to see where that's going but i'm interested uh, let's see here. So, what I wanted to move on with you next here, real quickly before I let you go, is the NCAA tournament. You know, this year, we have two number one seeds, we have a one number two seed, and we have one number 11 seed, and if it wasn't for UCLA knocking off Michigan, we could have three number one seeds in the NCAA tournament, and that's unprecedented, I feel like. Yeah, it is. Um, it's been a crazy tournament, honestly. I think... Uh, I, I was talking with my buddy Mason on my um, on my show the other day. Um, this is the most upsets that I've seen probably in recent memory later in the tournament. 
um, that I can remember. Usually you see one or two or three upsets uh, early on, and then it kind of levels out throughout the tournament, and you see the one seeds kind of dominate. But, uh, yeah, it's it's been a weird tournament. Yeah, and I mean the, up for the lack of last year's tournament. <laughs> yeah, and I mean the the weird thing about it though, Cam, is it's not like you know usually the number one seed gets upset. Maybe you get the number two seed upset. It's usually like a like you know you have one number one seed represent the rest, and you know everybody else kind of comes from different seeds. This year it was like early on we got upset like like Owen Roberts. You know Illinois gets beat early, and then it's like some of the favorites start winning, and then you get more upsets again. Yeah, I, def- I definitely think the um, one of the bigger surprises has been UCLA um, and Oral Roberts. Um, there was a lot of talk of Loyola Chicago, how they should have been a higher seat, but I think Oral Roberts' run was incredibly impressive. Yeah, Knocking I'm always... Number two, Ohio State, ridiculous. Yeah, and I mean, I'm always curious the way they, they do the seating, because it seems like if if you win your you know, conference, I guess, tournament or, or however, whatever they may call it now, you know, you're not even guaranteed to get the number one seed. I've always been curious at how they determine that seeding. Uh, it's a committee. It's a committee uh, akin to the uh, college football right. committee. No, um, I I understand that, but just like with the college football committee, you know, like how they figure out the one, two, three, four, like all these seedings, it's just like, you, you know, how do you determine, you, you know, say, you know, a school like Ohio, a school like Cleveland State, some of these under schools, how do you determine, you know, whether they're a 16 seed, a 15 seed, you know, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I think it, it's based on school size, history in the tournament, um, uh, statistics, you know, uh, record versus the top 25, uh, your basketball power index, things like that. Um, I think that all goes into it. but um, And then they vote on it, so... So, going into the tournament this year, who did you have as your, we'll call it, main bracket? Like, who who did you think had the best chance to make the Final Four? And then, obviously, we know Gonzaga will be in there. But who who did you have, you know, besides Gonzaga? I had Ohio State. I had Ohio State making the Final Four. And, obviously, you see how that went. <laughs> who was uh, y- y- your, your other uh, two teams? Man, uh, it was Ohio State. I think I had. Is Houston on the same side of that bracket? I believe so. I can pull out my bracket and take a quick walk. So let's see. I think I had Ohio State Villanova as my dark horse. Okay. In, so in the top right. Ohio State, Villanova, and Houston are all on the same side. They're all on the right side. But Villanova's on the top right, yeah? Yes. So they can make the Final Four. Yes. Okay. So I had Ohio State, Villanova, Gonzaga, and then I believe I had Michigan. Okay. Also making the Final so Four. So you had two number one seeds. You had Villanova, who would have been a nine seed, and then Ohio State was a two seed. Okay, well, we we ended up getting, as we mentioned, a number one seed, a number one seed, a number two seed, and a number 11 seed. So, you know, I talked about this a little bit. College basketball is the one sport where you don't get a dynasty. You know, like even in college football, you can get a dynasty. The NFL, MLB, you know, all the professional sports. College basketball, you don't really get one. Is that what makes the tournament to you, you know, the most exciting? Well, yeah, I mean, the constant rotation is what makes college sports um uh, really exciting, really, because um, you never know. Like all these new names, like uh, 
remember, I think it was Dwayne Wade at Marquette. He had a nice run. Like, you see these stars kind of emerge. Um, even the guy from OU, I forget his name, but he had a really nice day, and that's what led to that upset. So um, I think in college basketball especially, like, it, it's uh, it's hard to game plan for some un- some of these unknown guys. What is your prediction for for the Final Four and then for the national championship this coming Monday? I think Gonzaga just rolls. I'm going to be honest. I had Gonzaga rolling through the whole tournament. I think they continue to roll, and uh, they will have a perfect season. Okay, so my nervousness about Gonzaga is I feel like that they're going to get to the championship game and choke. And it's not a knock on Gonzaga, but when you know you are one game away from a perfect season since the 70s, first team ever since the 70s, that's a lot of pressure on these young kids, man. And whoever they face, whether it's going to be Baylor or Houston, they're going to come in with nothing to lose. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think, um, I mean, you look at USC, they also had nothing to lose, and they looked really good going in the Gonzaga. So, like, uh, I just, I don't know. I don't see a team beating them. <laughs> yeah. They look ridiculous. I, I mean, they they do, but in my opinion, there there is a difference between the Final Four and the National Championship game. Like, there's a difference between knowing you're two or three games away and you're one game away. It's like we made it all this way, and then it really starts getting it in your head. Don't forget, they're going to have a day off before. I actually think if they didn't have a day off before, it would benefit Gonzaga. But think about it, man. You know, Sunday is going to be Easter Sunday, and you're sitting there w- with, you know, your family. I know they're probably not allowed to go back home. It's going to be virtual. But you're probably sitting there w- with your family talking, I'm sure, and they're going to, you know, you're ready for the game, you, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it'll the pressure will always be on. I think, um, but Gonzaga has been like a quality program. They've been in this situation before. Um, I, I think they'll have a good way to handle it. All right. Well, we gotta leave it there with with Cam. So Cam, thank you for coming on today, man. Do, do you want to go and check out your stuff real quick? Yeah. Uh, Wednesdays. Uh, Wednesdays are this next Wednesday is our final show for the semester. Uh, Horseshoe and hand grenade. 7 to 9 p.m. on Wednesdays. Um, be sure to tune in. We talk sports and whatever else is on our minds. All right. Sounds, sounds good, Cam. Thank you, man. I, I appreciate it. And you have a good Easter and have a good one. Yeah, you too. Happy Easter. All right. Thank you. And that was again Cameron Miller from Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we got to take a quick break because coming up next, the current sports director of Black Squirrel Radio, along with the other co-hosts of Best of Black Sports Talk, Sean Fitzgerald, our MLB analyst. We are going to spar right here in studio. Can't wait. Let's do it. Coming up next, last hour ever of Brands World, BlackSquirrelRadio.com. To the top of our free on Brands World, the final hour ever. And I have here with me the sports director of Black School Radio, our MLB analyst, that call Sean Fitzgerald for the first time in studio with me since February 2020. Sean, how are we doing? I'm doing all right, Brandon. It's good to be back in here. It is good to be back. Hey, man, listen, can you believe it? Only one hour left of Brandon's world on BlackStoreRadio.com. It's shocking. To say the least, it's shocking. It's been a long three years, been a long, hard, memorable three years with you fans. I appreciate every second. 
Well, Sean, um, let's get right into it with the thing that happened most recently for us in Cleveland sports, and that was, of course, on Thursday, the Indians dropping the 3-2 to game against the Detroit Tigers. And as I would expect, in the second inning, there was a lot of panic from fans on Twitter, as you know. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but I'm sure that we are both on the same page. You can't panic after one game. You can't, and especially in that blizzard. It's so hard to grip the ball when Bieber gave up that home run to Cabrera. And uh, I believe the double came in with the RBI double that inning, too. I mean, Bieber settled down. He struck out 12 over just over six innings. And only three other pitchers have accomplished that kind of feat. And at least the other three are Hall of Famers. So yeah. Bieber is in very exclusive company. One of them includes Randy Johnson. One of the others is Nolan Ryan. Randy Johnson, Nolan Ryan, I believe Bob Feller was the other one. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. I think it was Bob Feller. And that's MLB history, folks. That's not Indians history. That is MLB history. And let me point this out. For everybody saying, oh, my God, Beaver Saw Young Award win last year was a fluke. Folks, did you not see what Shane Bieber went for on Thursday? He was laboring for those first two innings. And to make it six innings with 12 strikeouts, only giving up five hits and three runs, that is a masterful, dare I say, performance given the circumstances after that second inning. Yeah, I mean, just even trying to be someone who's played some varsity ball before, trying to grip a ball in snow or weather that just had snow it literally is the worst to try and just throw something around. To be able to see out there is a miracle in itself, especially what he was going through in Detroit. I mean, I don't know what more you could want from your ace in those conditions. He probably did better than most of the pitchers did in recent memory. Like even Trevor Bauer yesterday, he started off with a no-hitter through six. Probably even better than that kind of performance. Well, and it drives me nuts, Sean, because as I was making a joke of on Thursday, did you know the Yankees? The Yankees always scored two runs. Oh, my God. When the, the Indians scored two runs. But, oh, my God, the Yankees, the Yankees, they paid so much. The Indians, I mean, it, it, it drives me insane. The, these Indians fans, they, this, most of them just don't understand how baseball works. It's also because the Tribe has lost so many hitters. They've lost Santana. They've lost Lindor. They've lost Brantley over the last couple of years. They don't have the same offensive punch they used to have. The Yankees had a good offense last year. We didn't, and we have you know a few pieces that we either resigned or brought in on cheaper one-year deals. That's where the thing is at, is that you have so many players. You've got a few hitters, yes, but compared to the Yankees, the Yankees have been an offensive juggernaut the past two years or so. But they can spend. We cannot spend. Precisely. Yeah, and the thing that shocked me, and I don't know if this is something that is inflated by James Dolan, the owner of the Knicks and Rangers, uh, New York Rangers being, is that Paul Dolan is worth about $4.6 billion. So unless that is inflated by his you know, one cousin, I'm not sure how he's really spending the money for the, tri- for the tribe. I really don't. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think that there is a perception out there that, that these MLB owners are billionaires. They they pay for people out of their own pocket. That's just not the way it works. Yeah, it isn't, though. I definitely have had some reservations about Dolan recently, but I do have to commend him for having at least a good organization. So... The Indians, since Terry Francona's came in in 2013, have never had a losing record. They have been in the playoffs five of the eight years. I predict this year will be six out of nine seasons. 
That is tremendous. When you take a look at the other two teams that people adore here in Cleveland, let's start with the Browns. When they were 1-31, and people were still talking about the Browns. They didn't give a rip about the Indians when the Browns were 1-31 and and so bad. And then you have the Cavs, who have only been good in the last 20 years when LeBron Raymond James has been here in Akron, Ohio. Really, the last decade, the Indians have been the most consistent team we've had. I mean, you say nothing but the truth right there. And LeBron... He won us a title, which I will forever thank him for. And the Browns only just recently have truly returned relevance. I mean, before, what, 2018, we had not had a winning season since 2007. And And the last time time I even remember having more than uh, six or seven wins was uh, 2014. Yeah. And you didn't make the playoffs since 2002. And yet fans still adore over the Browns. It didn't matter. The Browns were 0-16. Fans were running to get their season tickets. The Indians can make the World Series. And I want to say one thing about Browns fans is that they think that just because reporters report accurately on their team or that they say the truth, that they decide to tear them down and be like, you're not Cleveland, you're not blah, 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 blah. No, shut up. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of that mindset. They're reporting for a reason. They're being honest with you. And they're not trying to be a cheerleader either. So take that and make sure that you keep that in mind. They are not cheerleaders. They are people who are trying to get the story out. Well, some of these Cleveland fans just drive me nuts. I, I think Cleveland fans just like to pick an argument. I, I, I think it's that Cleveland mentality of like, it's Cleveland against the world. Cleveland always gets screwed. It's like, listen, there's bad calls that go every way for both teams every game. You just got to overcome there it. There is some of that, though, that is factual because there has been uh, ESPN, the main ESPN, where I remember Aaron Goldhammer going on, and he even said that they tried to get him to talk on one subject where they were basically trying to get him to needle one of the teams in town, and uh, it did not sit well with him, and it did not sit well with me since I saw that. And there is still some Cleveland bias uh, out in the national media and in probably some of the front offices across No, no, no. I'm not saying a lot. I'm saying a small minority. I'm not saying front offices. I'm talking about referees. People think the referees are crooked and not against Cleveland. They're they're not crooked against anybody. Every referee makes bad calls. Yeah, most referees make bad calls, though I will admit there were fewer bad calls than normal compared to uh, past years with the Browns actually winning this year. For sure. Well, what's your transition order back to the Indians? Because I've been saying for this whole show to me, the Indians have four key hitters in their lineup. It is Jose Ramirez, Eddie Rosario, the left fielder we got from Minnesota, Farmville Reyes, and Josh Nayworth. What about Cesar Hernandez? Well, Cesar to me will always be consistent. I'm talking about these four guys that need to have big, big years. Cesar, I'm not worried about. He'll be consistent. In order for the Indians to have a successful offense, Three out of these four have to work. They have to it consistently. If they don't, the season's going to go downhill. And I would just say even this, if Roberto Perez can return to his 2019 form, or what was it, 2018 where he just went off, that's even more crucial. I got to tell you, and, and that was a sweet swing that he made in the ninth inning yes. against Detroit. Just got that ball out of there. Um, and remember, Detroit is one of the largest ballparks, one of the largest like center field gaps, too. Yep, it is a pitcher's park there. Now, I wanted to go over the lineup for today because they, this is the one thing that I was a little bit shocked by was the Indians opening day lineup. So today's lineup in center field, you're going to have Ben Gamble leading off. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, second base will be Cesar, then Jose, Eddie Rosario hits cleanup. Frontmill Ray is the DH. Naylor will bet six. First base will be Jake Bowers with the righty on the hill for Detroit. Eight will be Roberto, and nine will be Andreas Gimenez. My surprise was, and I know that Matt and Rick talked about this a little bit of the broadcast on Thursday. I thought Cesar Hernandez would hit as your leadoff hitter. Yeah, that's what kind of shocked me too, but the more I think about it, is that they're trying to keep more of their hitters, I guess, you know, their best hitters in that two through six range. And while Gamble and Luplo, you know, they're more platoon type guys, you know, I see some value in putting Gamble up top, and that way you're not having, you know, one and then two be a weak spot. Like, you want to have, if you can get to that second batter, you have a more consistent hitter. As you said, Cesar Hernandez is that consistent hitter. Then you lead into Jose, then you lead into Fran Meal, Naylor, Rosario, you know, that's a little bit out of order. But no, no, I, I'm saying. I I like the, the Jose, Fran Mio, Rosario, Naylor, whichever way they spin it, that's kind of three for six. I thought you would go Cesar as the number one. Then yeah, that's put... what I would think, but I think they need to see what they're going to do with center field. I think they want to try and give Bradley Zimmer another chance. This is just my own thinking, or they're going to wait to see if they can get someone like a Nolan Jones to center field or – Someone else. Well, uh, my like, thinking is there's two positions that they're going to 100% upgrade by the summer. Number one is going to be center field. We just talked about it. Number two is I think by May, especially by June, I think we're going to see Bobby Bradley at first base. We, that is a definite for me. I mean, Jake Bowers, he was out of options, so that worked in his favor. I think otherwise, you know, Bobby Bradley would have made the roster, no doubt. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of people panicked when they saw it at first. And I, I said I had a theory on this. Jake Powers was was out of options. So the Indians, instead of just letting him go, they could say, all right, well, at least we gave him a chance. And then if he struggles, we can just let him go. Bobby Bradley And every come team up. in baseball does this. It's not just the Indians. Yeah. They, Bowers, and especially anyone who's been a former like top 100 or highly regarded prospect, they're given every single chance to su- succeed. And this is something that Sheldon Oker, Hall of Fame baseball writer, said on Pass the Mic yesterday is that a guy like Bowers is going to be given every shot to succeed until they basically run out. And this is, you know, while he's getting the first chance at being the first baseman, this is his last chance as well. So let's move to the starting rotation because there's a lot of concern about the youth of the rotation, and I understand that. And there was a lot of people that were upset by us trading Carlos Carrasco. My takeaway was... The Indians pretty much had to give away Adam Plutko because there was no room for him. What were you going to do with Carrasco when you have all these young pitchers? There was no room for him either. Well, you could have, one, tried to see if you wanted to flip a young pitcher to see if you could get maybe an outfield bat or another bat for the infield. But, two, Carrasco, I was surprised that they traded him because I didn't, I really thought he was going to stick. That That's why when I initially saw the Lindor trade come out, when I saw that Jimenez was part of the return, I'm like, Huh, they got him. New York wouldn't normally give that guy up. And then I saw, oh, Carrasco's in the deal too, huh? That's why. Well, Carrasco got hurt. And here's something that within baseball, whenever the Indians trade a starting pitcher or they let a pitcher go who's been with them for a while and has had pretty good success, teams have started to get wary. Mike Clevenger, Corey Kluber, among others. You've seen Brian Shaw break down, Cody Allen. Andrew Miller has not been the same Andrew Miller that we knew. I mean, Brian Shaw has come back, and he looked good in his appearance the other day. Yeah, but, and he, you know, Carrasco is now injured. The thing is, you see all these pitchers who have been in Cleveland, while they're able to succeed here, 
They just start to break down once they're gone. That's what teams have had concerns about. Yep, and here's the thing about Carrasco. He was starting to break down at the end of last year. I think you could see kind of the little nick and errors. And, you know, I, I love Cookie. I love the battle that he went through with leukemia. But my takeaway was it was time. I got to tell you what I'm excited about on Monday. And I'm not sure, and I know that— First lefty in the rotation since Scott Casimir in 2013. Well, and this was my point, so I'm not sure, and you can help me out on this, because I I read two different things on this. Is he actually going to start, or is this just going to be a little opener? For for the home opener, I do not know. I know that he is going to be a part of the rotation 100% this year. But the thing is, I don't know what they're planning because I'm guessing what the Royals are thinking that they're going to stack their lineup some way. So they're either going to open with an opener or they're going to go with Logan Allen right out of the gate and give him probably five, six innings, something like that. I got to tell you, I think I would just throw the kid out there. See see what you got. The fact that they've been talking about an opener means that they think they see something, not something wrong with Allen, but that there's something with the Royals lineup that they're worried about. That's what's somewhat troubling to me that they think there's something in the Royals lineup that they're worried. Well, and the other thing that I think we have to take into account is, so Tuesday's an off day. Now, Wednesday would usually be your fifth start in the rotation, Tristan McKenzie. The question is, you know, that Wednesday will also be Bieber would be on his normal rest. I think Bieber is actually pitching next Friday. So that was the other thing, too, was like, do you want to pitch McKenzie Wednesday and put Bieber to Friday, or would you start Bieber on Wednesday and maybe put McKenzie in on Monday after Allen? Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that they have to figure out here early in the season. Now, this rotation is going to play itself out when we get to playing every day, Mm -hmm. but here early in the season, you have off days because of the home opener. You have a little bit more of cushion that you could do, you know, maybe a six-man rotation if you wanted to. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they're going to go six-man at all. I think McKenzie will probably be skipped through the rotation once. I don't know how they're going to line everything up, but we'll see. Maybe Bieber starts on Wednesday. Maybe they start McKenzie. I'm not sure. My thinking is maybe in June or July, you know, when you get to the heat of the baseball season, maybe they do go occasionally to a six-man rotation. That would probably be Cal Control. That's what I'm thinking. You bring in Cal Control for a spot start here and there. When you get a rain out or you do something, you have to play a doubleheader because you've got to save these young pitchers' arms because they've never been through a 162-game season. Yeah, and the only pitcher who's had more than a full season of starts is Shane Bieber. That's it. The closest one is Zach Plesak, and I believe 29 starts. And folks, between two seasons, granted. Bieber, by the way, Corey Culver peaked a little bit later than Bieber has. Bieber is 26. He's years. 20. I, is he 26? I thought he was 25. I thought he was 26 years old. Or he's going to be 26 at the end yeah, of May. Probably. So let's just say 26 for this season then. Bieber is going to be 26 years old, and he is pitching like, and I know that there's a bunch of debate of who the best pitcher in baseball is. I'm just going to say it. I think he's the best. Yeah, I think right now in the American League, he is definitely the best. The National League, it's going to be tough to say, but I think he makes it close within whoever's in the National League. All right, well, I want to transition here to the NFL because, boy, this draft just got shaken up over the past oh, week. Boy. So my takeaway is everybody thinks it's a slam dunk. Everybody thinks, uh, Jags are taking Trevor, Jets are taking Zach Wilson, the Niners are taking this guy, Atlanta's probably taking a quarterback, and I'm like, what if the Jets, What? and everybody thinks it's going to be Zach Wilson, very well maybe. 
But what if by chance it's all smokescreen and the Jets flip us around and they take Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase? Then we got madness. I don't think it's going to be either of those two. If they're going to take a non-quarterback, it's going to be Penesuel. There's no chance that they take uh, any position player. They're uh, going to take a left tackle. That's what the Jets are going to do. I, if they I don't just, take a quarterback, it's going to be a left tackle, a guy who is being billed as one of the best tackle prospects in a long while. It's going to be him if it's not a quarterback. So, I don't see it being pissed. So my argument to that is, no, number one, they have a left tackle. They have Mikel Beckton, who they drafted last they could, year. I don't think they're going to stick with him at left tackle. I think they can kick him to the inside, or they can kick him right out to the right tackle spot. Number two is... How do you, a team that literally has like no weapons offensively, how do you pass on, in my opinion, one of two great transitional talents? I, think, I know uh, that they got I, a they, couple of wide They got Corey Davis, but it's Corey like, Davis has improved every year he's been no, in the league, I, so that's I a good like pickup. Corey Davis, but I cannot pass on a superstar. I mean, this would be like the Eagles passing on Justin Jefferson in my mind. Yeah, like, here's the thing. We don't know what the Jets are going to do, but I am assuming it's going to be a quarterback, and I'm not going to rule out the possibility just yet. I think 99% they're going to take Zach Wilson. I think there's still that 1% chance that Justin Fields goes, and maybe if Fields is the pick, that... Wilson maybe falls to the 49ers. Well, what I'm losing my mind over is everybody thinks Atlanta is going to take a quarterback at number four. No, not the, with the I, way that Kyle Pitts has been saying that him and Atlanta have been well, talking. I don't. Here's what I actually believe is, okay, so Atlanta's stuck with Matt Ryan for two years with that contract. We saw what Arthur Smith did with Ryan Dano. I think Matt Ryan's going to have a bounce back year in Atlanta. My argument is, okay, so there's teams behind Atlanta at eight and nine. Carolina's at eight. Now, Atlanta's not going to trade in the division. But Atlanta literally has no defense. You can't name anybody in their defense except for Grady Jarrett. So my thought is, what if Denver comes up to Atlanta at number four? Because you got to move off Drew Locke. He's the fourth worst quarterback in the division by far. you got to get a new quarterback in Denver. Yeah. So what if Denver moves up to Atlanta at four. Atlanta can trade back to number nine. They can take, who is it, Patrick Sutain, the corner out of Alabama. They need defense. They get an extra first-round pick. So you have Denver taking a quarterback. And then, to me, that sets up the stage for Cincinnati to take an offensive lineman or, you know, Jamar Chase yeah, if they want that's to. That's one thing that's going because I don't think Kyle Pitts is going to fall farther than Fifth or sixth. That's where I think Atlanta. Like I think Atlanta really wants a tight end. I think they want Pitts. And imagine them having Tony Gonzalez a few years ago for most of his career, and then you have Kyle Pitts. That oh, would be and a they have Nurse as well, don't they? So yeah, and Nurse. he's he's in his contract year, I believe. So that's yep. that's going to be and a so replacement right with there. that. And I would say if I'm Atlanta, I would stay at four and take him if. Denver doesn't give me a good offer. I think Denver could be a team. Like, look out for Denver. If you want to move back five spots and take, you you know, a defensive back, which you desperately need because you don't have any defense, you can do that. Yeah, I mean, certainly. I don't really have any arguments there. And so the interesting thing, and this is where I, I want to get to really quickly, is New England. Because New England, to me, like, okay, Bill Belichick got drunk. He got a stimulus check, and he spent it all on defense. So my thing he did is— get, He did add Kendrick he, Ford and Nelson. He did get the two tight ends, okay? But there's only so much you can do when your quarterback to me— got two wide receivers and two tight ends. <laughs> when your quarterback to me is limited. 
So to me, if Belichick wants to get a quarterback, like this is the year, because next year's quarterback class isn't supposed to be very good. But how is New England going to move up now when you could have Denver? I mean, New England's going to have to trade up to number four with Atlanta. Carolina's probably going to take a quarterback. If Denver stays at nine, they're going to take a quarterback. Like, what is New England going to do? They're, they're, they're trapped. One, I think they're wanting to just see what they can do with Cam Newton for one more year. I do think COVID affected him more than usual because we saw what happened with Miles Garrett here in Cleveland. COVID still affected him, and he admitted that. I think COVID was probably still affecting Cam Newton a little bit. I'm not saying that's his full cause, but you know, yeah, I think it's a plausibility I think, scenario. I think it's a little bit of an excuse. Here's I- a little thing that I don't think that they're going to take him in the first round, but there is a quarterback that I feel like that they might be looking to add, and this is probably an outside the you know ballpark guess. What if they try to go for Kyle Trask in the second round? That would be such a Belichick move. Like, I could see that. Like, Kyle Trask out of Florida, take him in the second round, maybe trade up a couple spots to ensure that if he's not off the board. Well, and it's and then like. You grab him. Well, and maybe they tried to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, too, but I think San Francisco is going to play Jimmy G at least to start the year. Yeah. And I mean, I still think San Francisco, I think they're going to take Justin Fields. I feel like this Mac Jones stuff is a smoke. See, I think it's Trey Lance. Yeah, I think like, it's Trey Lance, the guy I'll that just, North Dakota State. I think he fits perfectly with yeah, Shanahan's system. Like, I just don't think Mac Jones is a top three quarterback. That's I don't think, think he's even a top ten quarterback. By the way, I don't think Justin Fields is a top ten quarterback either. We Justin can do, Fields is. We 100%. can debate that Did you all see his run. pro day? I, I don't care about pro days. What about what? Wilson's pro day then? I don't care about pro days. I don't give a rip about pro days. I don't care what they're doing. What I saw against they, Clemson for Fields They was are out miraculous. there in t-shirts and shorts throwing the guys that they know. The thing that I care about is in the locker room, leadership-wise, and in that's the what, interview well, room. Leadership is what Fields demonstrated against Clemson. He led that team, and he was hurting badly. That I will say. I'm just not sold. I'm done. The tape don't lie to me on Justin Fields. I'm not sold on him. They're for me. He's more... going to be a good starter in the league. I'm not saying he's going to be a superstar or pro bowler, but he's going to be a good starter. Yeah, it, it is a lofty debate. But I, I want to get to one more topic with you. we got about five minutes left, so let's just get to it. NCAA tournament. What's your predictions for the Final Four tonight and then the national championship? Gonzaga and Baylor, and give me Gonzaga. I mean, they've just been unstoppable. And if Baylor wins, they were the second-best team all year, too. So, I mean, either one of those two is the ones who I got picked out. I had this feeling. I've been saying this on the radio show to various guests for the last couple weeks. I just had this feeling Gonzaga is going to get to the championship game and lose because there's so much pressure for a team to be the first team since the 70s to have an undefeated college basketball national championship season. That it's like, you know, tomorrow is, is Easter. You know, they're, I'm sure they're not allowed to go home, but they're going to be, you know, virtually talking with their families, I'm sure, at some point. And I'm sure there's going to be, you know, some chitter-chatter, you know, you guys ready for the game? You know, there's a lot of pressure on you guys. Perfect season. And I just, that's so much pressure on young kids to do that. If they do it, it's amazing. Like, they are the best team. But that's a lot of pressure. One, they've been blowing everybody out. Not just in the tournament, but they've been blowing everybody out. If you're having a more close games than you could call, then that's cause for concern. I'm not even thinking about, you know, Gonzaga being the first undefeated team in years to win the title. I'm not even thinking about that because it's been such a year, weird year with COVID. It feels like it doesn't really count. And I feel like maybe that's what the kids are thinking. Maybe that's Mark, what Mark Few is thinking. I don't give a damn. 
about that perfect record. I just think that they have been so dominant. Mark Few has now turned that program to where they can recruit five stars out of high school. No, you're where, right. Where, like, they, I but, think this is their year, and here's, here's the, the best thing about here's it. I think the Mark issue Few, with that. This might be Mark Few's last year in, at Spokane. I think he, if he wins, he's gone. But here's here's the issue with all these recruitment of five stars. If you're a five star athlete, if the NBA is doing what we think we're doing, and you could go from high school straight to the NBA, and you're not guaranteed the one year college basketball, why wouldn't if I was an NBA player just go straight to the G League, get paid, get developed, and go to the NBA? Mm, I don't know. Maybe some kids want the glory of a national title. Maybe someone to see what college life is like, and yeah, maybe some I are mean, like you know motivated to try and see you know at least. Some no, other degree through because that, that's you know, an argument. Fa- some people, you know, don't haven't had a family member graduate from college, and maybe they feel that little bit of pressure. Be like, I want to at least get through some of this, and then I can come back later. That's an argument, but I feel like the most ball players just like play basketball for a living, and they just want to get paid. So I feel like most of them are just going to jump to the G League. Yeah, I mean, it's it's too soon to tell. I don't want to say anything definitively one way or the other, but I can see that happening. But I don't. I don't know if it's going – we haven't seen – we don't have enough data, not just yet. The interesting thing about Gonzaga is, you know, what if this game does become close? You know, we mentioned they have won everybody They else. have had a couple close games. They had a close one, I think, in their conference tournament. So they have played some close matchups before, even in the earlier part of the season, I believe. So My argument has always been there's a difference between a close game in the regular season – and a close game in the national championship with so many yeah. eyes watching. And, and I believe the Gonzaga made the national title a couple years ago. They did, but some of these kids are different. I know, I but if they have any of the same kids, some of those guys are going to be like, "Hey, here's what's going to take to win." And if you have those guys, let's and let's just say they have one or two. Let's just imagine that they do. They're going to be like, "Guys, we've been through this before. Here's what we got to do. We're going to put our foot down and we're going to go break." something out there. I don't know. Boy, it's, it's, it's interesting. And Sean, I don't know if you heard my conversation with, with your co-host Enzo Orlando at the start of the show. I don't know if you're aware of this or not. College basketball is getting very close. This NCAA tournament is getting very close to topping last year's NBA Finals ratings. Wow. So the NCAA tournament is getting very close to beating out the NBA. I think it just has to do with, again, the NBA was competing with the NFL. We all know that. But, like, people are starting to go off of the NBA and going more towards college basketball. It is really hurting the sport. And, you know, I, I guess that's the only thing I have to say about it. But do you have anything else that you want to add? I mean, one, it's shocking. But, two, I think we'll have to see once we get back out of non-COVID times how it's going to work. I want to see that. But I do think that this college basketball tournament has been far more entertaining than I thought it would be this year. I think it's also because we've had a whole, you know, a whole gap between 19 and 21 where we didn't have anything. So I think that's what's driven the interest up even more than it normally would be. Yeah, and this year, you know, we didn't really have a star to watch like a Zion Williamson, for example. But what you did have— Oh, we do have one, Jalen Suggs. Well, but what you do have is very, you know, competitive games, some upsets here and there that just keeping, you know, the interest. Yeah, because the prior year's tournament, you had most of the correct seeds in the seeding list. Most of them made it through. You had Murray State, who I thought was a slightly underseeded, make it through with John Morant to the Sweet 16, I believe. 
And you had, I think the lowest seed that made the final four was Auburn. And you still had a bunch of like, you had almost every one, two, three, and four seed alive. Yeah. Through the Sweet 16. It, it was definitely insane. All right. Well, Sean, we got to leave it there, buddy. I appreciate you for coming on in the studio. Sean Fitzgerald is going to be appearing with us in studio at the top of the Black Squirrel Radio Marathon. That is, again, programming reminder. Midnight to 12 p.m. next Friday, April 9th, weeding right in to pass the mic. That will kick off at 12 p.m. right here on BlackStrollRadio.com. Yeah, 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. next Friday for my final show ever, and it's going to be me probably having some uh, tear works during that third hour. Yeah, you can't get rid of me yet. I'm still your GM for the last month, and I'm and still I'm here, folks. And I'm happy that you are. Well, thank you, Sean. I appreciate it. Don't go away, folks. When we come back... I've been playing various different WrestleMania theme songs throughout the show. When we come back for the last 20, 30 minutes of the show, I am breaking down the two-night WrestleMania card. We are a week away from WrestleMania 37. I'm breaking it all down. Up next, right here on Brandon's World. Here is your WrestleMania theme song. It is called Save Your Tears by the Weekend. And again, this is Save Your Ears by The Weeknd, the official WrestleMania 37 theme song. With that, ladies and boys and girls, generalized. welcome back to Brandon's World. Here we are on the final half an hour ever, the finale, season number five. We were five out of eight semesters. It's been a wild ride. Remember, when I first came in here, I was coming off a Super Bowl championship victory. The Philadelphia Eagles were winning the Super Bowl this semester prior. So I came in there as a Super Bowl champion. I am leaving with possibly the worst run organization in the NFL. Shows you how much things can change in three years. Let me tell you how much things can change in three years as well. And that is wrestling. Because I have been through in my lifetime a ton of wrestling. Tons of WrestleManias. And in my college career, I've been through WrestleMania 34 through 37. And I am here to tell you... WrestleMania 37 will be the best one out of all of my college career. Not only because, number one, fans will be in attendance for the first time since March 9th, 2020. Let me repeat. For the first time in 13 months, WWE fans will make their way out of their shelter in their homes. They will head to Raymond James Stadium, the host of the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl champion, MMA Buccaneers, for a two-night event starting next weekend, streaming live only on Peacock. WrestleMania 37. If you do not have the Peacock app, you can go to PeacockTV.com backslash WWE or you can go to the Peacock app on any of your devices, the Roku TV, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox, PlayStation, wherever you get your apps to get the Peacock app. And for a limited time only, you can get Peacock Premium for $2.50 a month. That is a four-month offer that expires next Friday. 
so that you can watch WrestleMania for only $2.50, and that will cover you all the way up until SummerSlam. But with that being said, let's break down the WrestleMania 37 card. Now, we got the news this past week that night one of WrestleMania will not have a pre-show. And you ask, why is that? And the reason is because WWE wants that first entrance back with the WWE Universe finally in attendance. They want that first entrance to be a boom. And there is no other man to make that first entrance than the challenger for the WWE Championship, Drew McIntyre. Listen, there's a great video on YouTube. Go check it out. It is called Thank You Wrestling. And this YouTuber, and I forget the name of it off the top of my head, but this wrestler made a video, or excuse me, this YouTuber made a video about wrestling. And he said, listen, when all the sports went down in March of 2020, when the NBA, MLB, NHL, when they all shut down, wrestling was the only, the only sport to continue. The UFC shut down. All these other venues shut down for a little bit. Wrestling never stopped. And one of the MVPs of the pandemic era was the challenger for the WWE Championship. who would go on to have a huge WWE Championship run for 2020. Drew McIntyre. He is the only reason right now why Monday Night Raw, besides Randy Orton and The Fiend, obviously, the only reason why Monday Night Raw right now is savageable. He has carried Monday Night throughout the pandemic era. He is Drew McIntyre, and he is one of WWE's biggest stars. He will be the first entrance out. Can you imagine when that Scotland bang, the backpipes come out, and it's... Boom, boom, and it's Drew McIntyre. What a pop that's going to be next Saturday night, I believe. I do think that Drew McIntyre, and again, this is not the way that I said like four weeks ago on my show. I would have had the Hurt Business end night one of WrestleMania holding holding all four championships. Bobby Lashley, the WWE Championship, Cedric Alexander and Sheldon Benjamin, the Raw Tag Team Championships, and MVP, the United States Championship. That has not happened. Since then, the Hurt Business is broken up. Bobby Lashley is on his own, and he has a bounty out against anybody that can take out Drew McIntyre before WrestleMania. It makes Bobby Lashley look scared of Drew McIntyre, which to me does not make any sense because, again, they battled last June at Backlash for the WWE Championship, and this does not really feel like a WrestleMania main event to me because of that. So, Drew and Bobby are going to kick off the show, and I predict... Drew McIntyre will be entering his third WWE Championship title run. Now, the next match. I believe this could be a show stealer. Representing Friday Night SmackDown on Fox, Seth Rollins goes one-on-one with Cesaro. Cesaro, of course, was in the bar with Sheamus for a long time. This is Cesaro's first ever one-on-one WrestleMania match. For the longest time, the WWE Universe has claimed Cesaro is underrated. And now is his chance to shine. Because I think that Cesaro and Seth Rollins could steal the show. I am predicting that Cesaro wins this match. And by the way, dating back to Seth Rollins, Seth Rollins will now be entering his eighth 
WrestleMania. Can you believe that? WrestleMania 29, WrestleMania 30, WrestleMania 31, WrestleMania 33, 34, 35, 36, and now 37. That is eight WrestleManias for a guy who did not, I didn't know going into the WWE in 2012. He's only missed one WrestleMania. That was due to injury at WrestleMania 32. Seth Rollins has been a workhorse for the WWE at WrestleMania, and WrestleMania is nothing new to Rollins, but I do think he takes the L here to Cesaro. The third match. This might won the first Steel Cage match, and I know this. This isn't an opinion. Let me reiterate. This will be the first Steel Cage match at WrestleMania since WrestleMania 2. And in my opinion, Braun Strowman will decimate Shane McMahon inside this steel cage. Now, this match has all come about because Shane McMahon has been calling Braun Strowman stupid on Monday Night Raw. That's the way this rivalry began. That's the way this rivalry ends. Braun Strowman will land on top. Shane McMahon is one of a few part-timers to appear at this year's WrestleMania. This year's WrestleMania is more current stars than ever. There's only a few part-timers on the show. Shane McMahon is one of them, and I believe he gets destroyed, and Strowman walks away from WrestleMania victorious. Now, the next match I'm very interested in, and it is the New Day, Xavier Woods and Kofi Kingston, that is, defending their Raw Tag Team Championships against AJ Styles and that enormous man, Amos. If you've never seen Amos, Google him. Google Amos WWE. He is a seven foot three freak of nature who has never competed in a match. He is AJ Styles' bodyguard. He was the bodyguard for Shane McMahon's Raw Underground before that got canceled. And then he moved again to be Styles' bodyguard. Amos, man, this guy is a freak of nature. And I cannot wait to see what he does in the ring of night one of WrestleMania. I do predict that AJ and Almost do win the Raw Tag Team Championship. It almost looks dominantly impressive. And I can't wait to see, again, this freak of nature, this mammoth, this huge man, as they called him before they even gave him a name in WWE till like January, when they just decided to come up with the name Almost. This dude has a lot of potential to be a big, big star in WWE once he breaks away from AJ Styles. But they are a funny, great, entertaining duo. And on the Monday Night Raw side, they will hold the new Raw Tag Team Championships. The next match. This is a guy that everybody loves with the kids. Bad Bunny. He's some artist, appeared on Saturday Night Live, some kind of pop culture artist all the kids like. He is going to go one-on-one with The Miz. Now, I said this when Miz was to be champion a few weeks ago. I feel so bad for The Miz, which, by the way, next Monday, April 12th, the night after WrestleMania, everybody that Raw, our new Miz and Miz is live on the USA Network at 1110 Eastern, the best show on television. And I feel so bad for The Miz. The Miz in a month went from being the WWE champion potentially headlining WrestleMania against either Bobby Lashley, Drew McIntyre, Sheamus, or any combination of those four superstars to wrestling Bad Bunny and getting his ass kicked. That's what The Miz is going to get at WrestleMania. We all know Bad Bunny's going to get a pot. The kids love Bad Bunny. He's some international sensation superstar. 
I don't like him. I don't think his music's any good. He debuted at the Royal Rumble, took out the Miz. It's the way the whole rivalry got started. I don't love it, but, you know, it is what it is. Miz is a good soldier. Miz and John Morrison, by the way, aren't they the greatest rappers? Can they not sing? Go Google Miz and Morrison, AA, hop, hop, and tell me that thing isn't catchy. It's beautiful. Only Miz and Morrison. Hey, hey. Oh, oh, those two put in tremendous work, but poor, poor Miz is going to get destroyed at WrestleMania. I just, I don't know, man. The Miz deserves better. He should be here in Cleveland for the home opener being our WWE champion, but he's not, unfortunately. And then, the main event of night one, I believe should be Sasha Banks defending the SmackDown Women's Championship against Bianca Belair. Because, listen, Bianca Belair won the Women's Royal Rumble. This is the only match on the card besides Lashley and McIntyre that could main event. And as I mentioned, I don't see Lashley and McIntyre main eventing since they didn't even main event backlash back in June. So to me, you got to get to the Women's Royal Rumble winner, Bianca Belair. Bianca and Sasha will make history as they will become the first African-American woman to go one-on-one for a championship at WrestleMania. And in the main event, that's a hell of an accomplishment. And I believe the fans will go home happy as the new EST of WWE, Bianca Belair, walks away as the new SmackDown Women's Champion. So to reiterate, on night one, again, all these matches have been announced for night one and night two, by the way. On night one, we have three championship matches, and I believe all three championships will change hands. Drew McIntyre will win the WWE Championship from Bobby Lashley. The combination of AJ Styles and Amos will win the Raw Tag Team Championship from the New Day. And then, as well as Bianca Belair winning the SmackDown Women's Championship from Sasha Banks to close out night one. Now, I don't think night one, like last year, is going to be the better night. The Boneyard match last year, which, by the way, a year ago tomorrow on Easter Sunday will be the first night of WrestleMania. This WrestleMania is happening the latest it's ever been, April 10th and April 11th. A year ago tomorrow, we got the Boneyard match between The Undertaker and AJ Styles, which is still, in my opinion, one of the greatest matches in WrestleMania history. It is a cinematic art form. Please go back on Peacock on the WWE Network and watch that match. But that was night one last year. That was the better night, I believe, personally. This year, I believe it's a better night on night two. But before we get to night two, let me just show you on this. I am going to play one 20-second promo that will show you on the main event of night number two. I finally woke the hell up. I am a man that Roman Reigns aspires to be. I am a man that Daniel Bryan aspires to be. I am a WWE Hall of Fame legend. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the reason why I fell in love with wrestling. That, ladies and gentlemen, is why I have the Universal Championship over my shoulder right now as we speak. That is the rated R superstar, the ultimate opportunist, the WWE Hall of Famer, Edge, 
who will be main eventing the night of WrestleMania against Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan. And for my money, take your stimulus check. If you haven't spent it yet, go get a ton of food. Go get yourself 700 odd dogs. Go get yourself, I don't know what, what you got to go get yourself to get ready for this match, folks. This match will be the best match on WrestleMania because it is the best story for WrestleMania in the last 7 to 10 years. Think about this match. You have Roman Reigns, the Tribal Chief, the head of the table, the defending, undisputed Universal Heavyweight Champion, who since August has been running SmackDown. Kevin Owens, Jey Uso, among others, deteriorated by the Universal Heavyweight Champion Roman Reigns. Then you got Edge, who 10 years to the day of night over WrestleMania had to retire. Monday, April 11th, 2011 will be one of the worst days of my life. I still remember it like it was yesterday. And I missed that man like crazy. And he has brought out my love for this sport. And yes, it is a sport. This is professional wrestling. And these three men show you why with their passion and their hatred for one another. Edge, who comes into the Royal Rumble, the number one entry of the Royal Rumble match, wins the whole damn thing, baby. And then... At, at the Elimination Chamber because Roman Reigns, under legally contract, had to defend the Universal Championship. He defended it against Daniel Bryan, who had just finished a hellacious Elimination Chamber match. And Roman Reigns won that match. And then Edge, Spirit Roman Reigns, made his choice for WrestleMania. And we thought we were going to get Edge versus Roman Reigns one-on-one -on -one for the Universal Championship. But then... Daniel Bryan had a point. Roman Reigns did not give Daniel Bryan a fair shot at the Universal Championship. You see, as I mentioned, Daniel Bryan just finished the the Hawaiian's Elimination Chamber when Roman Reigns came out of the ring and defeated him the first time in Elimination Chamber. So Daniel Bryan had earned himself another chance at the Universal Championship at Fastlane, and he did that by defeating Jey Uso, Roman Reigns' henchman, in a steel cage. Well, Edge... Obviously, wasn't happy with that because Edge wants Roman Reigns because Roman Reigns is who is Roman Reigns is the guy who wants to be Edge. Roman Reigns, the new Edge, except for he's not Edge. He's not the regular superstar. He's not the ultimate opportunist. So Edge is named the special guest enforcer for the match at Fastlane after defeating Jey Uso, and after everything breaks down, Daniel Bryan hits Edge with a steel chair. And Edge snaps. And now you get Roman Reigns, the heel. You get Daniel Bryan, the face, who's been overcoming odds, including having out Roman Reigns at Fastlane for the first time ever in Roman Reigns' old career. Except for the referee didn't see it. And you have Edge, who's just this tweener, nasty, rated R superstar who doesn't give a damn if it's Roman Reigns, who doesn't give a damn if it's Daniel Bryan. He is taking his championship back. And that is the way you sell the triple threat main event for night two of WrestleMania. Roman Reigns, age 37 years old. Daniel Bryan, age 39 years old. 
Edge, age 47 years old. These three men who should be past their prime, but they are in their prime in pro wrestling. Let me tell you, none of these three men have ever looked better. Are going to tear the living house down at WrestleMania. They are going to tear the house down. This will be the best match by far at WrestleMania. And as the best story, Roman Reigns, your heel, Daniel Bryan, your face, and Edge, your tweener, who doesn't give a rip because he just wants his Universal Championship match. And Daniel Bryan is in his way. Roman Reigns is in his way. And Crazy Eyes Edge, the rated R superstar, the man I fell in love with when I was a little kid. The man that made me realize why I still watch this great sport. Why I still watch these athletes every Monday and Friday. The man who cares so much about this business. He is no part-timer man. He is a full-time wrestler. He is a professional wrestler. You can see it in Edge's eyes. He cares about this sport. This is why we do this. And this is why we will sit in our homes, in our basements, in our living rooms. WrestleMania 37, night two, main event. Where Edge and me and the Universal Championship will be together once again. There's a reason why I have this Universal Championship over my shoulder. It's because nobody, not Daniel Bryan, not Roman Reigns, nobody will take away this moment from me. I've waited 10 years, 10 years. To hold this belt over my shoulder once again and be crowned the Universal Champion. And there is nobody that's going to stop the Rated R Superstar. With that being said, I do think night two also we see some great matches including The Fiend versus Randy Orton. If you haven't seen The Fiend burned alive, again, go ahead and Google a picture of The Fiend Bray Wyatt chart. Folks, he looks like Freddy Krueger, and it's amazing. I've never seen anything more amazing in my life besides this build of this triple threat match for the Universal Heavyweight Championship of the World. And I predict the Fiend will defeat Randy Orton. I will have Rhea Ripley defeating Asuka to win the Raw Women's Championship. Asuka's reign as Raw Women's Championship has been not memorable at all. It's been one of the most boring, long-out, year-run title reigns ever. I get she was forced into it because Becky Lynch was pregnant and had to vacate the Raw Women's Championship last year. But by God, the Raw Women's Division is terrible. Get Alexa Bliss back in the back in that division, please. We need new stars. Who knows? Maybe Rhea Ripley, the former NXT champion, can be that star. Also on night two, we have Big E from the New Day defending the Intercontinental Championship against Apollo Crews in a first time ever. Nigerian drumstick match. If you're wondering what this match is, I have no idea. They announced it last night on SmackDown. Apollo Crews said they were going back to his roots in Nigeria with drums, and that's what we know. That's going to be a fun time for the crowd is the only thing I know. We have Riddle, who I think will retain the United States Championship over Sheamus, and we have Kevin Owens, who along with Logan Paul, yes, Logan Paul, the YouTube sensation, another one of the pop culture guys, this time he will appear on night two. 
I think Kevin Owens will defeat Sami Zayn. So that's your night two card again. Oscar Rhea Ripley for the Raw Women's Championship. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Randy Orton and The Fiend. Riddle and Sheamus. Big Ian of Owl Cruz. And then our main event. The Triple Threat for the Universe Championship. And your host of WrestleMania will of course be the Immortal Hulk Hogan and Titus O'Neil. And with that being said folks. That's it. We are out of time. You know, I decided we might as well end the show the way we started the show this semester. This is it. This has been Brandon's World on Black School Radio for the last five semesters, the last five seasons, the last three years. for a ton of fun, a ton of wild rides. Don't worry, I'm not going anywhere yet because we still have the BSR Marathon. I will see you guys Friday. Midnight to 12 p.m. Friday, April 9th. Be here or be square. I'll be giving out the call-in number. You guys can call in whenever there's nobody that we have guests on. So can't wait for that. I can't wait to get all of your opinions. I'm sure that we will spar. And with that being said, we will see you guys next time. This has been Brandon's World on Black Squirrel Radio.